0: Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast, no greater Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to the Action Annex Podcast, I'm your host Scott Wiley and today we got a treat for you. And if you haven't already guessed by the length of this episode, you're going to want to take breaks and get some water for this one and I'm going to explain exactly why. So first things first, uh, this one is about No Retreat, No Surrender 2 and 3 aka Raging Thunder and Blood Brothers also known in some territories as Karate Tiger 2 and 3, respectively. But the highlight is the fact that this is with Lauren Avadon. And for those of you who don't know why that matters, shame on you, firstly. But no, seriously, I mean, it's totally acceptable, but he is the star of both of these films as well as a few others that are action film delights he's also a very accomplished stunt performer I always find it funny whenever I re-watch my Sammo Hung Martial Law DVDs and he pops up in one of the episodes as a guy that fights Sammo uh, which uh, annoyingly I was going to ask him about but um, you can see by the length of this episode that uh, trying to vamp for time was not a problem I had so why is this episode so goddamn long, I hear you ask. And I especially hear you asking, Lauren, if you're, if you're listening to this, because you deliberately said, please, for the love of God, cut this down. Now, fun fact, this is the cut-down version. I have taken out huge swaths of dialogue that is unnecessary and everything that is left, barring a couple of moments where I just thought it was fun and interesting, Everything that is left is relevant to the films, to the stunts, to the stories, to the people that brought you the films that we all love to talk about. And I could have easily cut this down, I could have taken out some stuff, but the truth is, everything is relevant and everything is interesting. Even the stuff that doesn't directly relate to what we were necessarily talking about, but it all relates back to... Lauren's experience in the industry, the three main films that he's mostly known for, the two already mentioned, as well as The King of Kickboxers, and everybody else in between that he's worked with on that journey. He was also very, very, very gracious with his time, and the recording was epically long to try and edit, but on top of that, we spoke for a long time before the recording and after the recording and i'm just going to say off the bat lauren might be one of the nicest people i've ever met in my life and i don't mean people that are famous i mean in general lauren was just an absolute joy to chat with and i in all honesty that's why we chatted for so long it it felt like i'd known the guy half my life he seemed to have a great time and as you'll hear in the episode, he's one of us. Like, if you have never heard him speak before, which I actually had, I've I've heard him in other interviews telling some stories, which is why you might hear him occasionally say, you know, you know this already, because, like I said, we talked for quite a while before we actually hit record. But uh he is an action film fan at heart. He's a martial artist at heart, and he has a lot of opinions that, to be frank, are shared by the vast majority of us when it comes to who did things the best, how they should be done, how they should be filmed, the best way to edit them. And in all honesty, Lauren could easily, easily have people listening to his thoughts on the industry. And I reckon a lot of people would like to hear them. So if slash when Lauren wishes to return or we have a topic that I think he be grateful he'll be back in one way or another for one reason or another he will definitely be back i'm also joined this episode by a friend that you may hear myself and lauren refer to but you may not hear you will hear him uh, at some points but given that uh, this is a really long recording i will forgive you if you forget that he's here and uh, that is my good friend nonetheless jay chung aka Cryptic Soul, and he is partly responsible for setting this up, so I want to give a huge shout out to Jay for coming along, and he also took part in a lot of the conversations. But, to be frank, a lot of the stuff that was cut was the stuff that had most of Jay's dialogue in the recorded segments, with a couple of exceptions, so Jay will actually be returning for his own episode in the future. He himself works in the industry. He spent many years working as a stuntman in Hong Kong, working on many of the films that we all enjoyed, and he has worked with several names in the business that everybody would recognize, but I'm going to let him explain all of that when we actually do an episode with him so that he can kind of dive in and dissect and explain and introduce, because, you know, I don't want to speak for other people. But suffice to say... Jay is one of those people that you're probably going to be hearing a lot on the show in the coming months because aside from the fact that we both like the same films he's also in the UK with me which is a huge help in terms of not having to worry about time differences but he is just an all-around awesome guy and I absolutely just love hanging out with him so you know we he's just one of those people that is so easy to talk to much like Lauren so the three of us You know, what started off as an interview with uh, a pre-set list of questions was basically three people sat around drinking, having a laugh by the end of it. And to be frank, I wouldn't have it any other way. So, if you need it, No Retreat, No Surrender 2 is the sequel to No Retreat, No Surrender 1, which was the topic of the previous episode with Rob Antiquera that starred Kurt McKenney and Jean-Claude Van Damme. This time around we have Lauren Avedon, Max Taylor, Cynthia Rothrock, and Matthias Hughes, basically taking on the roles of the majority of our main characters with a bunch of familiar faces both in front of and behind the camera. This film was released in 1989. It was a Hong Kong production, but it was spoken in English. It was filmed in Thailand, and it is one of those films that I couldn't tell you how much it was made for, and I don't really trust the accuracy of the money that it says it made, so that's No Retreat, No Surrender to. It is a sequel, but it's not in terms of the characters. Everything is basically different. Other than the fact that they share a title, this is a completely separate film, so don't worry too much about that. A fact that is shared with No Retreat, No Surrender, Three Blood Brothers, which came out in 1990. Also starring Lauren Avedon, but with a different character and a different director, which was Lucas Lowe. It also stars Keith Vitali, Joseph Campanella, and a bunch of other people. The main one that everybody will probably want to be shouted out is Rion Hunter, who plays the film's villain Franco. And we have a chat about him uh, later, which is great. Both of these films, again, are not connected story-wise. They are completely different. They both feature martial arts and low-budget action at its finest. So with that said, enjoy the interview. Well, first of all, thank you for agreeing to come and talk to us. I, I I know for a fact that there are many people very excited at the prospect of hearing from you, because to be honest, you kind of represent a, a time that's no longer with us. And that is the 90s. And, you know, I've had quite a few episodes recently where we've all collectively, the group of people that discuss action films have pointed out that that was such a golden era and nobody really realized it at the time that it was kind of both the best point for action films, but it was also kind of the final hurrah. Because once that came to an end, everything kind of changed in the industry. You're so,
1: you're so right. And the thing is, is uh, that's the nature of the beast, right? I mean, it's, it's all about, unfortunately, the product and the demand and whatever else. But I'm so fortunate that I was able to be a part of the golden age of Hong Kong filmmaking, right? Yeah. So here's a Guaylo that's uh, speaking English and has English content in a Hong Kong film. Hong and those films. If I wasn't in those films, um, that that you know, it's tough, if I may, to really have like the best thing start first and you not really knowing. Like I was green when I did No Retreat, No Surrender two or whatever. I think that's Water Tiger two, Raging Thunder right i was totally yeah, yeah. green i was totally green but i had the charisma you know i had the, i had a, a lot of training in acting and i think i had that charisma on camera i don't know how that works but you either got it or you, or you don't right i mean i don't i don't want to sound like i know it all but i think you would agree and then to be a part of that have inspired others and then try to pick up the pieces after those and try to do something better than that. You know, sometimes people don't really understand that all of those years of the '90s and all of those films that were made that were cranked out, there was nothing but the camera. The, you, we didn't have monitors. We don't have anything that you have today. And the audience was not able to go on the internet, and, you know, search for all of this stuff. I mean, later in the '90s, yeah, not to to a degree, but it was it's so great to be a part of that. And and then to have inspired others and, and to be talking to you guys now, you know, like being relevant or being uh, having done that. That's great. But what can I do now, really, uh, as a human being to make you know this world a little bit better? Because right right now it's really kind of crazy. And, uh, you know, uh, so sorry I went deep there, but I did. I just I'm just grateful. I guess you could say, and there's plenty of things that are, there's, yeah, Hey man, I ain't, I ain't done until I'm in the ground there's dirt on my face. So I'm
0: ready to go. Hey man, if, if Liam Neeson of all people can become the 60 the year old action hero for like 20 years, the, the people that are actually trained to do this, they've got every shot in the world still.
1: Absolutely. And I know
0: so many people in the business, but at, at a certain point you make
1: choices because it's full time. Trying to be a badass, you know, like JJ, who I spoke of earlier. I speak about him all the time because I, I I met him when he was just all Army Techno Champion, all all Armed Forces Techno Champion. I was training. I just come back from King of the K boxers I see this guy spinning like a top. I just, you know, I love the guy. So you look at how much work and how much he's put into it that nobody's ever going to see because he started in stunts, right? He started doing stunt. Who gave him his first two stunt jobs? So being relevant and and being being a part of you know this conversation is great because there's so much talent out there there's so much need but there's also a different uh way of viewing things now you know they you didn't have yeah you had some kind of censorship or some sort of limits but now you have no limits really it's just you can be as creative as want as you want and as crazy and nasty as you want and people seem to like that and want more and more and more so being but you can't do that organically and that's what happens when you work with just what you have on the day, and you just choreograph a twenty-move sequence, and then you're going to move on to the next, and then you know what? You're going to hit the ground, and you're going to hit the ground, and it's real. You know, there wasn't, there was some wire work in in King of the Kickboxers, obviously. I mean, I ain't yeah. hanging from no tree, you know, with just ropes and, and sandbags on my ass. You know, it's 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 a trip. I was up that tree for. Christ, and they were fucking with me too, <laughs> because they're like, because that harness, man, that shit hurts after a while, you know. And I'm so I'm up there for like two hours, you know, with my legs spread apart like that. Sometimes they'd move my legs back. I said, please, you just—it's like it was like torture, you know. But uh, that's the way it had to happen. So that's it, you know, and that's what I'm, I'm so proud of being able to to do.
0: So what what you're basically saying is, is that scene of screaming, please let me down. There wasn't much acting involved.
1: Yeah, that's right. That was real. We don't, we never want to act, you know? I mean, that's why, you know, directors push you to do certain things or whatever. Then you're kind of acting, you're trying to be in the, you're trying to be real with it. But you, you know, at the same time, you're, you're hung in cheek and you're going, oh my God, shit, this is going to be on film forever. And you just do it, you know? Yeah. And that's it. So, and then when you're doing that, yes, I, I tell you, directors do things on purpose as well. Like, uh, Yoon when, when I was doing, uh, No Treatment Surrender 2, he, he had me do the interrogation scene after I'd been up for 36 hours. Now, it's hard to get into the moment when you really don't have the great, sorry, sorry, Keith Stanford, but the greatest writing. Yeah. If he would have let if if he would have let me, like everybody, shut up for a minute and let me let me think and make myself because there was no time for this. It's hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Get the get the words and move on. You know, even though that's a set and we're there to do that, but that's what Yun Kui did. Is he had me up for thirty six hours? He was pulling a Dustin Hoffman on me. You know, Mister Method Actor guy, right? Okay, let's wear him out, and which is smart actually and try to get him to be himself in that position. But if they had just let me, I feel I would have done a better job. That's why it's hard for me to watch. So, you know, there it is, man. It, but it's, it, it worked. It's, it's done. It's, it's there.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, and yeah, So for those people listening that maybe don't know, would you mind telling us a bit about your martial arts background and what made you transition from martial arts into film? Well, I,
1: I wouldn't say it's a transition. I'd say it's just another art. You know, yeah. Uh, or another the the thing about acting or about you have to know yourself and your limitations and then break through those limitations and all that stuff. So studying uh, uh, acting and first of all my martial arts experience, I Bruce Lee. You you already know the story that I saw Bruce Lee and that was it. Right. So everybody's inspired by what he did. But what got me into the martial arts is uh, there were at that time. Because this is you know what I mean I mean acting was I wasn't even thinking about acting when I was seventeen eighteen, I was thinking about you know what can I do? I worked at a huge agency you know that's now part of William Morris, all that kind of stuff, but anyway, martial arts i had I tried all these things when I was in high school or whatever, had no money, had no you know whatever, and yeah, I grew up in Beverly Hills, but I had nothing there. but the but the opportunity and the clothes on my back. So, uh, I finally got a car and I was able to go to Jun Chung, drive around to Kung Fu San Su. There was Shotokan karate. There was, uh, Emil Farkas's Beverly Hills karate. I was like, this is all stuff I don't, that's not, you know, I'm not feeling. Then I walk into Jun Chung Taekwondo and I see, um, can't think of his name right now, but he, he ran, he flew through the air He kicked the bag, folded it up, smacked against the ceilings. And I said, can you do that again? and then I came and had Simon Ree teaching me the first night and so I was hooked you know I was just like I was like a fish man I, I, and I was like a sponge too I just wanted to get more and more and more and martial arts what it does is is as a young man growing up in a single fa- parent home who was bullied and this and that and all that stuff as a kid who was you know what I mean let's just let's just say I never gave him the satisfaction you know so I was I was t- I was a runt too for a long time until like So I went into the school all of a sudden Here's these here's these tigers walking around, you know Simon Ree and Philip Ree and June Chung and you know Superfoot Bill Wallace or whoever else we come and I'm seeing I'm watching I'm watching these men and I'm like wow I want to be exactly like that you know so I was gonna do anything it took to because you're a family you know I was gonna do anything it took to be the best son when i when i was with my masters and and to be and to represent them and to have examples for me of how to be a man you know how to be a man of honor a peaceful warrior how to show others and to to be you know in a space where there is nothing that confines you or defines you except your discipline and your honor and your way and your everything you know it's like church so martial arts and my progression to martial arts, I'm still involved. I'm the secretary general of the U- United States Taekwondo Federation. What does that mean? That means I'm a ninth Don in Taekwondo and in Hapkido. Hapkido is such an incredible art. All arts are wonderful, but martial arts and the pr- progression and the proving of oneself and improvement of oneself, mastering of self, uh, and then absolutely starting from the beginning again all the time. That is all – that's what it is, man. So martial arts and my experience – I mean, I i can't – I'm going into the philosophical because that's the most important thing. Yeah, man, you know what? I was one of the best kickers in the world at at some time. I I did not compete like I could have, like, for example, J.J. did because I like my face, and, and I already knew that I could throw down because I would go and train with these guys that were going to the Olympics and all of that. And then I pulled back. You know what I'm saying, but nobody knows that. Nobody needs to know that. What I need to do is is be the best human being and be dis- as disciplined as I can and as honorable as I can and as humble as I can. Uh and that's what martial arts provides. You know, is is a template that you know and then I've I've done other things. I've studied ontology, which is basically breaking yourself down and figuring your, yourself out, right? And not, and not being stopped by yourself, because that's huge. And that's what martial arts is, does. When you put your hand through three bricks, and you know you know that this little hand did that. So mind over matter and putting the work in. And so martial arts is always what I've come back to. Acting was a, like a thing that just happened on a lark. Because I, I couldn't pay my doctor bill. You probably heard this. And I was working at my doctor's house, painting and sanding and you know, sweeping and doing whatever I had to do. And I met this cat who was uh, in this acting class, this Stanislavsky Meisner technique acting class. And he said, "Man, you should come to my acting class. And play guitar, really cool." And he, he obviously was there because he couldn't pay his bill either. <laughs> and so, uh, so I go to this acting class, and I'm up there in front of twelve people. And I'm a, I've stood in front of so many people teaching and doing whatever else, and you know what I'm saying in the school. And, I'm not afraid to speak out or, or whatever, but I'm shaking like a leaf holding this piece of paper and trying to say the words on that piece of paper. I'm like, dude, this is something you need to, to learn and to overcome and to, you know, cause we always old man here again, but the only thing that you can do is, is master yourself. You can control what you can think you can, you're controlling everything else. Or as much as possible, you're doing your best to put the most most out there positively. But the bottom line is, is you're not in control. So let me let me, and I this is the way I view it, right? So let me master myself in this way too, and I'll use it for whatever reason. So the acting became. I, thank God, I I have always I don't know how it happens, always been so blessed to run into the right teachers. The right influencers and to know the difference, but have made a lot of mistakes also, you know, even though whatever. So acting was another discipline in art. And then all of a sudden, I had come back from Africa and, uh, and was, uh, in the dojon, and I'm answering the phone there because I ha- I have, it's 9 30, 10 o'clock at night and it's Roy Haran so just by virtue of i think energy or whatever whatever happens it, you know it happens when it happens you have to be prepared for it and that's it you know and so those disciplines and all those other things are for life ne- not necessarily the acting although you know acting can help in life too right i mean we all we all act or we all you know do do what we need to do to be who we want we need to be for others and you know, nothing is genuine and completely except raw, pure. You know, and that's what happens when you get in there and you beat the crap out of each other, and you, you, you know what I mean. You, it's like uh, steel forging steel. You know, and you develop that brotherhood and that everything that I can say, and then even in film. And and I'm so grateful, so grateful that I did a few few was captured on film and just happened to be at the right place at the right time but if I wasn't prepared uh, you know the opportunity would have been a waste of time and I, and that's what I see in this reality kind of world is this people it's the train wreck principle people want to see you know all this reality stuff and whatever not necessarily scripted stuff and now You got Marvel kicking ass. You got all these stories and all of this, all of these effects. But at the at the level of human being, we all want to hear a story and to be a part of that story in our minds for a minute, or visually, and whatever. And then my brother Jay here was talking about you know some music, bro. If I had to choose between visual arts. And music. If I was stuck on a desert island, it would be music. I don't think I could live without music. All kinds of music, right? And that's it. So you know, brothers, it's uh, it's amazing how it's amazing how uh, you know you learn so much, but you can't really pass it on. And things are going to change anyway. So you know, you can be mad about it, or you can be what you want to be to change whatever needs to be changed because we have a limited time on this earth. And, uh, and that's what it is. So I'm just, I'm just grateful. And there's a lot of stuff going on anyway, which is great because if you don't keep yourself active man, you're wasting time and I don't care. Look, I'm so busted up, but I don't care. I just do it, man. I keep going and you gotta do it. that's You gotta kind of have that attitude, but I'm always thinking about the, the giving, aspect of my day before i got married for example been married for two years now uh well that will be next monday which is amazing i thought you know i would never all the hearts i broke and all the dumb shit i did i figured well warrior monk for me for the rest of my life because i have just been dishonorable to many of our beautiful you know ladies in the world so that's that's it i mean but for me it's uh it's wonderful to just still be relevant and be able to talk And hopefully people listen and people do look for chances to be creative in their own lives and do everything that that you're doing, you know, that you do what you love and um, and then get paid for it in some way. But still, you're (laughs) going to get paid paid for it. You're going to get paid for it also in in what you do to affect others lives, because that's the that's the greatest fulfillment and reward is that, you know, that you've helped someone. Anyone, just even opening the door or being, you know, if, if the world were more, rel, you know, connected with that, those aspects, our priorities are all left up. I'm not saying yours. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying the way things are going, you know, if we don't look after each other, if we don't have each other's, you know, as if, as if you know, there but for God's grace go I, I could that could be me and, and the love for all people and all things. And But everything just seems to be kind of crazy right now. Uh, yeah. not, not because of COVID, because of crazy. And, uh, that's the element of human being, your, our, our predatory instincts that martial arts turns into, um, character. So there you go.
0: No, I mean, first of all, congrats on getting married. Um, I'm actually getting married in September. So it's all right. And congratulations. congratulations. How, how long, how long have you been engaged and? Uh, well, technically, we've been engaged uh, for just about 11 months, um, but we, and we've been together about five years, but we've known each other pretty much all our lives.
1: That's great. That's beautiful. I wish you all the happiness in the world.
0: Thank you. Uh, the other thing I want to say as well is, uh, I don't think you need to worry that you sound like an old man talking, because even though the world is crazy... What, what, what was that? but no seriously like everybody is trying their best to improve and if they're not then they're doing it wrong but i agree with you about the martial arts like you you've just hit the biggest tenant that uh because i don't even know if you know this but everyone in this podcast is a martial artist (laughs) um and uh i i really hate some aspect of the martial arts where ego becomes the biggest driving factor and showing off what everybody has and what you can do. And I've always preferred the dojos that they close the doors. And once the doors are open, nobody really talks about it. Nobody carries it with them. It doesn't matter who can do what everybody is just trying to be better than themselves yesterday or whatever it might be. And you basically just said all of that. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's what I come from, too, is this old school. It wasn't enough. You know, they, they didn't they wanted you to see be able to see in because, of course, you're going to get students and people can look through the window. Well, you can't look through a window that's so fogged up. Because there have been motherfuckers sweating in there <laughs> for so long and it's hot or it's freezing or it's whatever. And yeah, you can come in and so forth, but you better be ready for the smell too, dog. Yep. And you better be ready for everything that you're going to be in there. You know, I mean, thank you for, uh, the congrats on being married, but yeah, that's, that's really what I miss a lot about being an elder now is, is that, uh, I can help others and coach others, which I do, but physically, I can't really do all that stuff that you saw before. And that's, that's, that is, that's hard for me mentally because mentally I'm ready to go. But physically, there's just so much that you have so many times you can move so many times, so many bones you can break over and over and over and over again, but that's okay because I can still teach and do what I did. I was supposed to go to, I was supposed to go to Columbia for a tournament uh, in my honor. And, uh, Dumbass me he had to mow the grass and be outside, and then I got the flu, and I never get sick. And and that's another thing is is doing menial tasks. You you know you have to, uh right? You have what's what's in your mind and what's what you do is so important, and you have to keep doing it. You have to never stop. Keep 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 doing it. So I was supposed to go, but I got so sick, and I can't go to. A Bogota, which is at eighty six hundred foot elevation, when I've got acute bronchitis, because first of all, I ain't no oxygen there. Second of all, that bronchitis can turn into pneumonia real quick. Yeah. And uh and I'm beating myself over the head. I I so so I just sent these certificates I had made up for them with uh, my grandmaster's approval, who's the president of USDF commendations and certificates of appreciation. But this is all for love, man. You know, I mean, I have an appearance fee, right? But this is all, martial arts is, yeah, that's more important than anything. And I would have gone to uh, Columbia. It's never happened before. I mean, it's dangerous over there. I wasn't worried about that. Now it's my own mortality and just the situation. But I will always be involved. You, It's open over here. I'm having lunch tomorrow with Grandmaster Rick Martin, who is a uh, world champion, Okinawan Rue, Karate, Karateka. And the guy, get this, Blood Brothers fight scene. I uh, walk into the dojo, do the splits on the stairs, have a little fight there, you know? Yeah. That's that dojo. Uh-huh. I, live in, I live eight minutes away from that now. Uh-huh. How is that happening? So I'm having lunch with him tomorrow. You know, we're going to hang out and talk. And I'm going to ask him humbly if I can come in. Because it's, I don't know anybody around here except for Dan Ross and a few others. But Dan doesn't have a dojo anymore, a dojo. So I'm going to ask him humbly if I can come and, uh, if you have some black belt class, just to, first to watch, just to try to stretch, just to do whatever, because I do all this stuff at home, but I need to be around that energy of, of men and women yeah. that are, you know, at my level. But, you know, so to, to kick the rust off, because, hey, you, you, it's not like I'm able to go to the doujang any day or every day that I want anyway. But my house is a dojo. Uh, the world is a dojo. That's it. So I practice, but I do so at a level and at a skill and at a pace where, you know, hey, I haven't been doing it. So let me start over again. But I will still do my ponce, my forms, all as much as possible because everything's there. And your mind, I get lost, you know. The clock becomes irrelevant. So that's that's all I can say to you guys and to everybody is, is that if you have to have your meditation, you have to have your time, where you you make for yourself that, and also keep everything in perspective. If I may, I see so many people that are more interested in their phone, anything else. I see now in my country that a gun has more rights than a woman. I see I see all of these things occurring, and the warrior in me and the honorable. Person in me wants to change many things that are going on, and I just don't understand it. I don't understand it because for me it's very simple: I do unto others. Yeah, and it means to all level, like public service. I don't care, you know. Corruption is corrupt, and ultimate power corrupts ultimate. So there you go. Anyway, but the thing is, is that every day we have a chance, or and even while we're sleeping. Uh, we have a chance for things to happen, but you have to be a part of that and that's why I think it's great that you guys reached out to me and that you were so patient with me uh dealing with other things and you know what it's i am i'm I'm gonna like i said want to die with my boots on throw me in a hole and put some dirt on my face but let me let me keep going so that's my prayer always is is to let me keep going and if I can help or do something for someone else that's that's priority number one. And I'm blessed to be able to say that. I just were, I just wish that because I think that that's a, a tenant, as you, as you mentioned, of human being that I don't see very much of anymore. And I also don't see the comments. Like there's no common sense anymore. There's no like level of respect or understanding of that respect. Now, I'm talking about more about the Western society, right? And I know that's too deep and probably off off center for this podcast. But
0: you'd be surprised.
1: I want to say, what I want to say is is that is that I hope uh, all of somehow magically our instincts change at, a, at at a higher level. I don't think that's possible because people that have the power they're not going to change their behavior. They're enjoying that. And so the, but the balance of power and, and, and finances, that will change because there will be ultimately something like this pandemic. Thank God we have the technology. But we, we will kill ourselves off if we don't become more of a one world, one planet, one Earth. You want to go to Mars, man? You want to live inside a bubble? Fix this place first, you know, and I, I don't get it. So I end up going to the beach and picking up cigarette butts and doing stuff like that when I'm there or doing what I can to clean up the, even my neighborhood. So, you know, I just wish there was more of that going on because that's that's the world that I want to live in and I'm not going to stop being
0: that. You know what I'm saying, brothers? I do. So, um, I yeah. actually work in a hospital environment as does my partner. So that's well, pretty you, much what we do.
1: <laughs> you're fucking brave, man. Because everybody, everybody, even I know, like this, these girls across the street, they're nurses. They got COVID. My doctor got COVID. This is after the pandemic.
0: This is now. It's because we said that the risk is reduced. So everybody stopped doing the preventative measures. Um, it's the same over here. It's okay, man. People still trying to, you know, throw that
1: rock when they can, you know, not, not be putting people at
0: risk. I don't get it. But, um, Speaking of what you were said about being in the right place at the right time, just to take us back
1: (laughs) a little bit. Edit this this down so
0: motherfuckers don't fall asleep, you know, but go (laughs) ahead. Obviously, we were talking about uh, Raging Thunder. Uh, One thing you might not know the answer to this, but one thing I, I was wondering is what point were you cast and what was that like for you? Because I've heard conflicting reports about Van Damme's involvement when he left and who was actually replacing him because I'm pretty sure I've heard you say that you were brought in to replace him, but Matthias Hughes has also kind of said the similar thing. Okay, so
1: if you look at just the No Retreat series, each one has a different story. Yeah. Okay, there's no uh, continuance of that initial story, so... The the titles are a little deceptive, but they're still at the core of the film, those that no retreat, no surrender, rage and thunder, whatever. So here's the deal. Uh when Roy Haran was looking for somebody to replace Van Dam, which that is Matthias Hughes who replaced Van Dam's character. Okay. Van Dam was not going to be the star. That and that's why Roy Haran and by uh NG's, you know, Cun's si you know, thinking, he, he, this guy is our bad guy. He's going to continue to be our bad guy. You know what I mean? I mean, all, even though p- characters can switch around in Hong Kong films, not with white people. You know what I mean? Sorry, y'all, but that's true. <laughs> so, because we're exper- so we're experimenting with this model uh, and they were so successful with the first No Treat, No Surrender that they were going to do this other one. But at the point, uh, as I understand it, uh, really at the time, Kurt McKinney was working on a soap opera, okay, and I don't know which one or what it what it's all about, but when you when you're working on a soap opera, you're making ten grand fifteen grand a week for in those days now God only knows how much, okay you got a schedule and you got a job that's gonna pay you a lot of money, so why would you leave that? yeah, you know you're not going to get anything but your pay from these overseas you know productions i'm not going to tell you how little i did my first film for because it's nobody's business but that's so and then van damme had already because you know kurt really wanted to go and do it he wanted to go and do it but van damme was absolutely you know he had been uh they had already shot bloodsport it was sitting on cannons in cannons vault they didn't know what the f to do with it and uh so Van Damme was kind of waiting for himself to come out in that. And also he was, okay, I'm going to say something, but, you know, Van Damme is, hes I'm sure, I got to see some of his point fights or whatever, but let's just say uh, I don't think the muscles in Brussels is as much of a fighter as I was, for example. I could whoop his ass. And, and that's the thing. And I know I still can But the thing about it is, is that it's the business. So I show up as part of this audition process because I was at the school, the dojo at 930 on a Friday night. And uh, I was beating the crap out of the heavy bag. And the gentleman who was vacuuming up the mat, he said, "Uh, Lauren, can you talk to this guy? I can't understand him. Uh, I said, sure, so how can I help you? Uh, who, who's calling the Dojang at 9.30 or 9.40 at night? And then Roy introduces himself, I go over there, I audition for him, uh, he was gonna cancel the audition, but I, knew I had to get over there. So I didn't really have the job, even though I had the job, and neither did Matthias. until we actually went. I mean, I'd signed the contract, pay or play, but Yun have not seen either of us. There was no video calls and no email and no, you know, whatever then. Yeah. So the first thing I did was as I got off the plane, it's the middle of the night. I I arrive at the ambassador hotel in uh Bangkok. And there's Yung Kwai. He has been called out of his room and he's he's all these sets are built, everything's ready to go. So what I heard was is that Van Damme didn't want to go because he was worried about getting hurt, first of all. So, I mean, dude didn't, didn't want to be in the Predator suit, you know. Mm-hmm. So he quit. He quits, you know, and he, he can do what he wants. I mean, he's – I can't say anything except I, – I know Frank Dukes. That's all I'm going to say. I know Frank Dukes. I love Frank Dukes. He's a wonderful person. But I also know what I know. And the thing is, is that Van Damme had basically talked Kurt out of going. He didn't want to go. He wasn't going to make the money that he thought he was worth. Cannon didn't pay him what he wanted either. But It was a great script. So he went and did it. But you know what? I mean, I guess I can't blame him. Thank you anyway, brother, for, you know, wimping out. And Kurt, I totally understand. Kurt's a great guy. He is a real super nice regular guy person you know and um so am i i think but the thing is is that no i didn't have the job until yun kuei let me do some reactions for him in the hallway with roy around throwing punches and kicks at me and me showing him my reaction my acting first thing with with the you know with yun or with, you know, cause he can in all these old movies. He's in enter the dragon. He's in all these old Chinese movies. Yep. As a, as a stuntman. That's how you start, man, on the bottom. So the thing is, is that, so he checked me out and he's like, okay. And that's what he walks away. So then we do a screen test with Matthias and I in the parking lot of the ambassador hotel the next day. Cause he wants to see how we look, how we look together on film. Sure. That was a screen test. Uh, he didn't want to see how I looked on film because you you can see somebody in real life and they look completely different when they're lit and made up and whatever. Now, we didn't have anybody light us and make us up for that. We just did this. and We just walked up to each other in the parking lot. And we just did whatever we did. You know, I threw some kicks. We did whatever I did, you know, did whatever they wanted. I can't even remember. It was later that day that, you know, we started to get the schedule for what we were gonna do, otherwise we would have been on a plane back. We would have had some money, you know. But at this point, also we kind of had things working t- for us because every day that you're not working, you're paying everyone. And the sets were built, and Yun Kuei sitting in a freaking hotel, and he could back be back in the Kong making making money. And he swapped out for Yun Biao and Biao and some moments this these directors tag team all the time at Kong. yeah back in the day so anyway so i didn't really have the job we didn't really have the job and van damme was replaced by matthias hughes in the story for the film i replaced the lead kurt mckinney i couldn't have played van damme's part van Dam was going to be a matthias's character and Kurt McKinney was going to be Scott Scott Wild because of our looks and our, you know, I'm not saying Van Ham's not pretty, not head and all, but it's all good, you know? So that's what happened. That's the real deal.
0: Thank you. So were you aware of uh, the work that the director was doing before this, or was this kind of your first exposure to him? For, I didn't know anything about anybody. I was green. I was wet behind the ears, but I was eager.
1: I was ready to. I knew how to, I knew how to put it on. Because when you play, no, seriously, man, fake it till you make it. Well, I wasn't faking it. I was being really, I was, I was training. I was going to acting classes. I was putting myself through, you know, the what, whatever. Okay. I'm not sitting there doing silly, crazy exit. You know what I mean? I was ready to go. Yeah. But I, and then the other thing that Yoon Kuei, uh, kind of loved or, or got him fired up. Was the first scene that we really shot for uh, *Raging Thunder* was the scene between Max and I where we're looking down over the camp. We walked around kind of the rim of this. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And then we, we sit down and we talk to each other. That's why it looks so good because that's the first first scene we shot. The rest of the time I'm like sick, you know, crazy. So that's when he he saw the energy between us because he didn't understand a word. And we're working with three different languages, and uh, and so yeah, I mean, I did not know who I was working with, and that was to my benefit, because the last thing you want to have is is fear. Fear is uh, the devil's workshop, man. You can't be getting intimidated by who you're with you have to embrace them, they have to embrace you, and you have to do, if you show that you're putting in 100, 150%, what does that do? That creates a ripple effect. So, with Yung Kwai, he would ask me, you know, like, would I do that slide to life and things like that, you know, uh, from to the guard tower in, in that film. And I didn't know who that Yung Biao had come in or who he was. I found out later, you know, and I didn't know anybody. So I, you know, I was just there. I knew who Cynthia Rothrock was because I had seen her and Ernie Reyes Jr. and George Chung and the West Coast demo team. And I beat out, uh, one of Ernie, Ernie Reyes seniors. I saw Ernie, I met Ernie Reyes senior at an audition for the Pepsi Slice Black Belts. I became one, Mark Hicks was another, et cetera.
0: So I think you might just answer this question, but what, what did you find doing the choreography? like? Was it a challenge, or was it something that you took to naturally?
1: Well, I took to it naturally, but uh, I learned so much from the Chinese. I Like I said, I'm a sponsor, and I always will be. I will never stop learning. It. When, when people act like they already know, they don't know. Yeah. And if they're talking about it, they're not doing it. And uh, so basically... Thanks to being a honed and seasoned martial artist, you know you learn technique, and uh, you know in various in Hapkido, for example, and various combinations and such. And you and you have to be disciplined, especially with with pumse or with stuff like that. So, but also I was on the demo team at Jurchal, so I was I was Master Philip Rees Uki or napo, for his cane routine, you know, and so he would put a hogu on me and he would whack the shit out of the hogu and me and, and then hook it around my neck, you know, choke me, do whatever, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I would have to react. Of course, and sometimes it was involuntary because that shit hurt. So, and I could, I was like a sponge, man. So, okay, we're going to go through these comedies, but here, here was the problem. You have two very talented uh, Chinese choreographer or a series, you know, the fight choreographers are constantly putting together combinations based on what the director wants that the director wants, what he wants. And, you know, wants to do. there's no pre-visiting. There's none of this. So on the spot on the day you're, you're learning your eight to 20 uh, moves and uh, I, that's fine with me, man. That's, that's technique. That's, I'm learning a new technique and I'm, but I'm also learning how to sell, how to not really hurt anybody. Not really hit anybody, but also be really willing, willing to take, take a shot and willing to use my body, which I did many years later, you know, going back into stunting. But, uh, no, I didn't know who was, who was who in the zoo. I didn't really care. What I cared about was being the best uh, in front of the camera and trying to, this was me, you know, what are we doing now? You know, because I don't understand what, what we're shooting now. You know, uh, and, and now I'm just going to do a line reading on from, from the script. Now, that's really hard to figure out. And then to, to make it work from beginning to end as a character, knowing that I'm immortalized on film is, you know, that's pressure enough. And you got to throw that away. That's why you don't go watch yourself, you know, in dailies or anything like that. I could. So I'm going to be thinking about that instead of being in the moment. And that's something that I, that I learned so much from, uh, with choreography and with the martial arts and how to protect each other because we have to do this later and all day, 14 hours a day. Yep. So how do I make sure that when I'm fighting with some of the greatest martial artists that you'll never understand or know because they're just, they're stunting it. They're stunting it or they're uh, doubling whoever they're doing, whatever. We're working together as a team and then being able to – the problem was is Matthias and my arms and legs were much longer than the choreographers, for example. So we would have to adapt, and I would explain that to them. And then I would also ask their permission. And then at some point the stunt guys are going, Lauren, take a rest, will you, because you, you work. We know work, you know. Please, take a rest. I'm like, please, I'm learning. Let me make a deal with you guys. You do it and I do it. Let them choose which one looks better. Like that thing in the market, uh, you know, where I swing around the pole and I do all that stuff. That's me. You know, I'm not a gymnast, but they showed it to me on the day and I did it. So being an athlete, being a good athlete involves discipline, right? And then when you, when your things are getting swung at your face and they're telling you, block at the last minute, don't be blocking out here. You know, it's so obvious. And then they're not going to, they're not going to do it these, I'm sorry, these DPs do now that don't know how to shoot action or they're constantly trying to hide because they've been working with a- actors that are doing martial arts in films that aren't martial artists, how to hide the mistakes, how to hide the F-ups. No, no, no. The Chinese are going to use the full screen and range of the technique because they know exactly what they want. And Tony Leung Shen Hong, who was the Green Dragon master in uh, it, the first Ip he was the, he I didn't meet until other films, Blood Brothers, but Gang Chu, he was amazing. And the choreographers that were there, the basically five-man stunt team, different sizes and shapes can double anybody. And even the, uh, the coordinator and choreographer you know, he's, he's looking at everything. And we didn't really have, and then there's Yun again, who is the ultimate master of, of, choreography you know, of, of the camera of everything which I'm so blessed to to have such a master uh, that I work with but I didn't know that, that this was a master or it would have intimidated me probably and would have made things worse than already just dealing with the conditions and where you are because if you're upset and you they're, they're ready to roll there's not do you need a moment no dude roll you know they're not it's not like that over there and then, oops, you know, you, so you got smacked in the head. Well, it's the same thing in the dojo. I mean, it's your fault. You didn't block or you weren't in the right position or whatever. But you develop a relationship. And then you also uh, develop trust with everyone. Matias is not a martial artist. <laughs> He's a great athlete. You, don't, you have no idea the pain that man went through. Fighting with my bony little ass, you know. It was a trip because I was, I would look like a stick, but I was hard like a fucking stone. So when I was blocking and even with it, you know, I would put pads on for him because he's, he didn't have conditioned muscle. He was, you know, all about the look and now you're using your yourself. So, you know, I love Matisse. I did the forward. He, he put out Shirtless in Hollywood. I redid, rewrote the, I wrote the forward for him. It was great honor. So the next printing will have yours truly. And then Billy Blanks, I just got a text from last night because I'm trying to hook him up with Scott Atkins for Art of Action, or at least help. I mean, you know, Scott can get anybody he wants to, you know what I'm saying? But I want him to to talk to Billy because Billy's an inspiration. And if I could read you, the, I'm getting chicken scene, but if I could read you the text from Billy, you know, still showing the love that we had for each other, that he came up to me. Now, see, this is, now this is when you, you know, you know, because I'm working with world champions. I'm working with guys that can, that can rip my head off, you know. And they come up to me and they say, this is your film, Billy Bitt. This is your film. I want to make this the best it can be. And so, you know, I want to, that's such a gift. From the seven-time world karate champion, I'm talking Muhammad Ali Fast, Pick the buttons off your shirt. Jab your hand twice before you can move it. Kick you so many times with grace. Beautiful line. of his technique. Impeccable. Perfect. I mean, so that's the perfection that I strove for, too. So I would always train with these guys that are world champions. I would go to fight night. Billy tell you, i go to fight night over there, knock some fools around. But... But then we would pad up and go with each other and we're giving each other the opportunities because it's already a done deal if he wants it to be. You know, I know who I'm dealing with. But the honor is to be able to hang with that kind of person because you never want to go to that level except for protecting someone else that you love. But being around that kind of incredible, that's just what I always wanted to be around. It's like, these guys or these athletes, male, female, I don't care what color you are. I've always been colorblind. I don't understand all of this. We're different stuff. Uh, uh-uh. uh, no, not, not at all. But so, you know, those things are, are just tremendously important to me. Like he, he's saying, you know, wishing me blessings and prayers and, you know, love and all this stuff and, uh, and everything I do. And then me replying back to him, because Billy, when we work together on King of the Kickboxers, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and he's reading the Bible, and he's calling his wife. And here's a guy playing a complete, you know, maniac, killer. But the real Billy is, uh, and this is on YouTube, you should see him up uh, promoting king of the kickboxers where he's breaking cinder blocks and, and some ad some uh video uh, sale where you know where where a company you know like he, that's what we used to do is, is we would fly three cities a day to promote the release of the video so he's busting through cinder blocks and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and i actually have, I have a scar from holding a cinder block for him in vegas that he broke through and I know how to hold. So it didn't go, the, the piece didn't go into my face. You know, I was like this. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what I'm and uh because that's what people, people usually say boards don't hit back, but they hit the motherfuckers that are holding it. If you don't watch it. So that's it. You know, it's just great to, to be a, around this and be uh sort of a, had been a part of, you know, that those great times and inspired so much more. Now, I know Chad Stahelski, I know JJ, I know all these guys, all these amazing, amazing athletes that will never get any credit. It's what pisses me off about the academy here. They don't have a stunt coordinator or best stunt coordinator. I have an Emmy as a stuntman. It's a piece of paper, but I treasure it. From lo- some little fight gaff I did working with Merit Yonka, may you rest in peace, on uh, Chuck, Chuck versus the Undercover Lover. And it won an Emmy that year for Best Stuff Coordination. So really kind of, you know, but I, you know, you got to put it in perspective. Remember, this is rich people giving each other awards. Yep. It pisses me off that I see these crazy uh, things. I'm not going to name them, but you know who you are, where you're selling awards to people. And you're hiring people to come and show up for these things. And that endorses you You never see me one at one of those things ever in your life. Believe me, they want me.
0: We feel exactly the same way. Um, (laughs) There's a few things you've said that uh, people that listen to this show regularly will have already heard from me and all the guests I've had on before. So don't worry about it. You know, other people, you know, we are big, big advocates for stunt guys getting their dues for coordinators for action directors we know people's names you know we we know the groups that they work for we know where they train and the fact that other people don't has started to change in the last sort of three to four years it is slowly but surely beginning to be something that the mainstream audiences are interested in but it's you know it's not there yet but yeah, I'm I'm happy that you got an Emmy. I'm happy whenever anybody gets recognized for doing this stuff. It really irritates me because without it, the final product doesn't work. It it just wouldn't exist. And yeah, right. we recognize right. makeup people, but we don't recognize people that do yeah. stunts. It makes no sense to me.
1: Yeah, that's true. And uh, you know, there is a certain point where you don't want to give away the secrets, all the secrets. Because it takes the mystique out of, you know, out of what you watch. Yeah. There, there should be, what I'm saying is, is there should be recognition of the end product, not just, you know, yeah, because without that content and those people, Vince Gill and all of these amazing guys. I mean, I've got a hat that Ronnie Rondell gave me when I worked with him in the 90s. Uh, and I've met all of these guys from all of these groups and worked with them in some capacity and. That's why I went back to stunnings because they called, me. Warren. Well, you know we're shooting this on Buffy. You want to come and play? Because all those guys, they knew they knew who I was. And then eventually, economically speaking, and being a single dad, I was so happy I had that to fall back on. Yeah, but I I was already busted up, and then I busted myself up more. And you know what? I loved it. I love it. I love it. I, you know every every pain or ache or everything that you know i'm left with is just that's that's something i've earned and i'm quite proud of <laughs> i'm happy to go again you know it's just the thing that's more important to me really is um that people get credit ultimately it doesn't bother me i don't care personally because i know so many people for example you know, i'm i'm so enamored with the military because i'm the only one in my family that didn't go to war on my mother's side in like eight generations now i'm not saying war is good i hate war but you know my father was in two wars for example but i you know these guys who sacrifice who are dead in the sand somewhere or wherever else that will never be known they did so that we could have this conversation, so that's where I go every day to try to be humble and uh and also just to just to say it doesn't matter what country you know or it does a little bit at this point, but um you know th- there's a reason why we we always need to be ready to go back to nothing and uh thank God for these guys and i I you know i all I can say and gals. All I can say is, is that it's uh, it, it's a crazy world, but we'll, all, we'll we'll figure it all out. What we need to do is come together. All that's going on right now is going to lead us quicker into a way for our Earth to cool. Yeah. and and that's if you look at if you look at it from a larger than me perspective, you'll and, and that's the thing that I have problems with with all all people, even myself, is falling for your own BS or the BS that's fed you and not not doing what's necessary that you can do whatever you can do in whatever capacity to make this world cleaner better and never mind telling the story let's let's get her done but I'm uh I'm honored to to still be a part of the conversation so I mean I appreciate you guys a lot and I know that you know, ask me some other questions, otherwise I'm just going to rant. So.
0: <laughs> no, I, I just really wanted to say, like, you you hit the nail on the head with uh, both Matthias and Billy when you said that they're so nice. I've, I've heard lots of other people say this, and I, I have to echo this sentiment, is nine times out of ten, the villain on screen, the nastier they are in the character, the nicer of a person they are to meet in real life. Both of those people that you just mentioned uh, are people that in the future we would love to talk to. Uh, I, I've read Matias's book as well. That's why I wanted to ask you about it because there was a couple of things in it that just sounds so crazy. I'm like, I've got to ask you if you have some stories that sync up with his.
1: Oh, I do, but you know, I think for the, uh, shall we say privacy of others, I'll probably leave those stories to, for my book, whenever. <laughs> And when some people are dead, some old people, but That's no, horror. no, the, the
0: thing, no, the thing is, is that you have to understand the nature of the beast. Hey guys, this is future me. Uh, I just had to jump in here because there was no smooth way to do this transition, but basically, uh, that was the end of that particular segment. We essentially got distracted for a significant amount of time. Uh, and I've tried to like cut it out, cut it down, even though it's really interesting, but it's got nothing to do with, uh action films, entertainment, and that's completely irrelevant because Lauren was such a joy to talk to. But I have wanted to just just leave a couple of things in because this is the segment where we found out that Lauren actually used to live in the UK, very, very close to where Jay lives. I've taken that bit out because I don't want to dox Jay. And uh, we had a great chat about our families and our connections and how important they are. And I, I really loved the conversation uh, I, I, a part of me wanted to leave it in, but this episode is already super long. So instead, we're just going to cut to a bit that I think kind of summarizes the part that that we were talking about. But, you know,
1: see, I made two new friends today. And hopefully that kind of attitude or that kind of inclusion or that kind of thought will, will be uh, mixed with discipline. In other words, people need to be their word, not just talk. But uh, I'm going to go back to all over and over again. That's that. So you know, I mean, I'm. uh, Yeah, I used to be used to live in London, and uh, I those all of these experiences. I'm so fortunate that my mom was such a a traveler herself and would take me with her. And and it would it was in a time when it wasn't there wasn't any. I don't know. uh, That's what I loved about Europe too. Is there you know I could have a beer, for example. I worked in some little tiny b&b in the middle of the country See, my mother left me there for a couple of weeks i slept in the attic and I, and I worked as a whatever i whatever they wanted me to do you know sweep the floor do this do that and i'd get a pint of guinness at five o'clock ten years old five o'clock every day See, you can't do that shit anymore man you can't just you send, send your kid off and go here and go there and have these experiences because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I've got so many friends that are trying to stop human trafficking, trying to stop my, my daughter was almost kidnapped uh, and all this crazy
0: stuff. So, you know, it's a fucked up world out there, man. And I don't get it. What was uh, what was your experience like going to Thailand? Was that your first time going?
1: Yeah. You know, it was my first time. I've been to Africa and I went to Africa because my dad was going. And I'm like, well, I guess my ticket blew off the porch. huh? <laughs> So I made
0: a deal with him and with my mom and everything because I had to give up my apartment. Say, give me the question again, brother. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, it's fine. Let's just say, what was it like going to Thailand? to Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, so Thailand was... I mean, I was so wet behind the ears again. Like, I can remember I was on the flight and I was, you know, even the crew was like, oh, my God. But we got, you know, Mr. Energy over here. And... Uh, <laughs> Once we got there, I was freaking exhausted. Once we were able to be amongst each other, you know, uh, whether in, because two times, right? No Trina's two, and then King of the King Boshers. Once you're around the Thai people and, and you're around the culture, you immerse yourself in that culture. And uh, there's a lot of good things and bad things, but Thailand is what it is. I used to, I mean, my mom, had been there for example and i had uh, and still have a Thai headdress for when they do the, the the monkey dance it's interesting that i you know had that kind of costume on in king of the kickboxers but i looked at that for so many years but of course it was called siam then or something like that i can't remember but uh being there is surreal because all of a sudden you're in this other world of you know, And, it, again, I haven't been there in 30-something years, so it's different. But going and being with the Thais and being in Lumpana Stadium, getting in the ring, wow. Uh, being, being around the Thai people is, you know, it's a beautiful experience. And that's when, when I got the Asian flu. Because those, those babes are so gorgeous. All I can tell you is, is it was such a, le- a learning experience for me. Because I was under the trestle of the bridge over the River Kwai. You know, there are many bridges. But I remember and I know the, how those bridges were built. And I was in a place where everything has a spirit. Everything. You don't put a wa- you don't put a boat in the water except on Thursday, and only after you know it's you've prayed the certain prayer and you have some, you know, so that kind of discipline and that kind of thinking, and kind of experience there, which is, you know, they're Buddhist of course, majority of it, right? Say ninety nine percent, so they're ready to come back to into life and it's as a you know. Dragonfly or whatever, at any time. But they live life, you know. They're so tough. Like Tony Jaw, that motherfucker's a badass, man. Oh that yeah, dude. And these Thai boxers. That's why I, am not wearing the shirt I was yesterday. I uh, would go to the Muay Thai gym, in Hermosa Beach Hermosa Boxers. Now Brian Popejoy, the crew over there, who I would co- I would be. Running the the uh, the deal while he went to work, just so I could pick my daughter up after school and have her go somewhere with me, and I could help Brian. So being around these Thai boxers as well, and all of this the Thai crew, Muay Thai is amazing. It's it's a, an amazing art, but they're so strong and so tough, and they're so nice, and they're so scary too. Because I've you know been in situations where I've had a knife to my throat. And I'm not going to give you the whole scenario, but most of us did, you know, who went went to this particular place. So, you know, I mean, anything, they don't call it Bangkok or I don't know what I, any like all these movies and all this stuff, whatever it is. Yeah, anything can happen. It's like the Philippines, too. Like my, my wife was was Philippine, Filipina. So, you know, you don't put your watch outside the, the car or whatever, you know. Because accidents happen in the Philippines, you know what I'm saying? And just a machete just might happen to land on your forearm, and you know, the watch is gonna go. Know, let's just say, say no more, right? So, but the thing about that is, is that they're also equally as wonderful. Like, I, I stayed at Cosameda Island, and it was the king's 60th birthday, they loved their king. So I'm on Koh Samet. Koh Samet is not Koh Samui or any of these other touristy kind of islands. It's where the tides go. You know? Yes, there were some westerners there when I arrived. But I stayed in this max sayer stayed in an air conditioned room, you know, on the down the, the coast. I was in a bamboo hut. All I had was a mosquito net and, you know, falling coconuts to you know, that was, the, that was the biggest danger there is falling coconuts. Uh, but then the Thais came for there to celebrate their king and his 60th birthday. So all of a sudden, this island is populated with all these Thais. I invited them, I, a lot of them. There was, there, there was one cat, I remember, he was trying to play Hotel California. You know, he, he was getting some of the, the the chords right, but the words were way, you know, phonetically all over the place. I'm like, wait a minute. I'll tell you what. You play, I'll sing. And then, so uh, they, we all partied and we had a great time. And I, I, there were just bodies stacked on my lanai or whatever you want to call it. All there was was a, a tin roof and bamboo you know, and breeze coming in and out and mosquito net and four or five steps into the water. But, you know, I got to party with him and hang out with him. And then the same thing in in Taiwan, in Taipei, Taiwan. I ran into the guy who did the motorcycle stunt in the middle of Taipei, a city of I don't know how many millions of people. It's a trip. But just to say, the Thai people are wonderful people. And they have been under martial law for a while. Uh, But that's not uncommon. You know, it's not uncommon Um, when I go to Korea. Even still today, there are rock soldiers on the bridges at Incheon, uh, with sandbag, you know, fully automatic, fifty caliber machine guns, you know, pointed your way. So you know, it's it's all cool. Asia, I love Asia. Japan, I'm not too. I mean, Japan countryside, ah, oh, amazing. Tokyo, I can't deal with it. Some really nice places, but I can't deal with it. But uh, but I've had the opportunity to be there, so that's that's I'm so blessed. So, but Thailand, I highly recommend all to go, you know, and take a take a yeah, take some time and understand, and go to Thailand and visit some of their more most beautiful. First of all, if you if you're Buddhist, you got to check out this place. It's amazing. But, all the Buddhas that are built in the middle of nowhere that you're going, how did they do that? You know, and all of the other things in these villages that you'll see all of the people that you meet are going to be so nice. So, so uh, inquisitive about you. I remember, especially out in the country, they always want to touch my nose. I want to make sure that it's really, especially the kids make sure that's really, Oh, that's really a nose, you know, because they don't really have, it, you know? And they're so innocent. They're out there, you know, living in the way that they have always lived for centuries, for millennia. And, you know, you get to be around that. I mean, I'm freaking American. I know mean, we've been here for a little over 200 years. We're you know, all immigrants and whatever. But here's an ancient culture and these amazing things. And by the river Kwai, there's a little cave. You crawl in. You have to get on your knees. It's very cool. You have to get on your knees to see this Buddha. Crawl in and here's this Buddha with the full robes and the whole nine yards. And um, the culture is a beautiful culture, but it's also a very brutal environment. It rains half the year and, uh, you know, but the people there, the idea that there's still a king. And remember how many times their area has been a subject of war and, and uh of conflict. And how many different times Burma, Myanmar, and whatever, you know, have been under, under such, like what really bothers me is, uh, is knowing that, for example, I'm not going to get into politics, but knowing that the Taliban or whatever had blown up this beautiful uh, Buddha that had been carved out of the side of a, of a cliff and just blew it up. And all of the artifacts of Persia and of, of Iraq and whatever that have been destroyed by, uh, we could learn. We could learn so much and have so many treasures. And there's that was something that I did. I'm just going to say because when my mom went to Asia, you know, she brought back a part of a, I don't know what it was, but it was just a hand, and I think it was Buddha, you know, doing something right, or it was a statue of something. But I gave all of these things back to after she passed away. These heads and these other things to uh, you know people and said I don't know what this is, but you know the the right people to yeah. to know what it, whether this should be in a museum, whether it should be here or there or the other thing. Now I still have the tie headdress, but that's different. And. uh, so, you know, would I like to go uh, back to Bangkok? Absolutely. Just not right now. Yeah. Not right now. And the same thing, I would love to go to Hanoi. I'd love to go to Vietnam. Uh, I'd love to, but I have an American passport, and I know they're open. But, you know, there's some crazy stuff going on right now. So you just got to kind of... That's why I think Clearwater here is so crowded with people, which is great. We need the the economy needs it. But uh, yeah, and and through the pandemic, I traveled. I mean, and I highly recommend, you know, what is it? Mark Twain has that famous uh, piece of wisdom that uh, travel is fatal to prejudice. Something, 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 and something. In other words.
0: Yeah, I can't think what it is, but I've I've seen it a lot recently. Funnily enough, yeah. Well, and
1: it's true because we're all the same, you know. We're just brought up in different circumstances. It's yeah. True. I love Thailand. Beautiful, and I love. I'd rather sweat than freeze any day. So, see, so yeah, that was the, that was the part of it that it had, I always had no problem, you know, with the weather, because this can get really, really crazy, and I, and I can only imagine now what what it's like. You know what I mean? What the heat is like and what the situation is like. Beautiful country, beautiful place to visit and to experience. And if you go where the ties go rather than to these, that's what you want. So, yeah. Uh, and I, I was hoping to go back to Africa, to Kenya and Tanzania for my 60th. Year. It's just not the right time. Got
0: um my, my partner's actually been to Tanzania she went there with the church doing uh charity orphanage work trying to help people out there and she said the same thing she would love to go back but for obvious reasons a she can't go back on her own and b it's not going to happen probably anytime soon
1: right and I have you know now someone else to think of and when you travel with someone you know uh you want them to feel safe and to feel you know whatever so you know like we went to Hawaii my wife and I but that was also that was also to honor someone who had passed away over there that I became very close friends to and then his wife has MS so poor thing and uh but we got to see she got to see a little bit of that And we're gonna see a little bit more of Florida and get go around right but uh I never let the pandemic stop me I never let Anything stop me if you know if it's if it's good if it's meant to be or if it's something that you are passionate about you gotta gotta show up that's 95% of life so whenever you can see if you can you know see if you can make it to wherever it is you know I would love to come back to Britain and and uh, to hang out but
0: you hey know, if I ever do I, man I, I think I can safely say we'll come get drinks with you
1: oh are you kidding we're going to the pub for sure <laughs> Absolutely, That's which we can try, man. <laughs> Hell no, no. <laughs> I love the I love the pub, man. I love it. It's just gotten so commercial you No, know, it's not like it's like you're going into a one of these Dave and Buster's places over here. You know, even even in some places, like I want to go to a real English pub where they have pub food and it doesn't look like some carbon copy of a western or a yeah, yeah so when i co- when i come mate, take me to the old place yeah no worries man i got you man i don't know <laughs>
0: that's what i want to hear so, so yeah so, yes sir no i was just gonna say like you mentioned uh max taylor a few times and i actually had a question about him because sure. he I'm
1: uh you. i just don't want him to kick my ass because even though he's old he's a bad motherfucker.
0: <laughs> Uh, so was he um trained martial artist? Because it didn't look that way. So I'm just curious, was that something that was required for the character or, or was it simply the fact that they liked him so much as an actor, they were willing to work around that fact?
1: You know, I mean, I think that's the, that was the case that Max uh, was not supposed to be like my teacher, right? Uh, it's not like King of the Kickboxers. which It's, yeah. Some guy I know from Indiana, because that's where I'm from, because I was written for Kirby Kennedy to in be from Indiana, right? That kind of deal. So, and he's an arms dealer in. Uh, whatever. Wherever. So, no, I, I think Max was doing a lot of these Philippine movies, you know, these, you know, Knock 'em Out and whatever. And so he was well known over there. And Roy. I don't know how Roy found him, but he was there when I got there. Let's just let me just say this about Max. Max is a pure actor. He was a a uh, a medic. He doesn't talk about this in Vietnam, in country, putting bodies back together. So. When he w- – I was so grateful that I had such a great mentor as Max. A man of experience, a man who – yeah, he didn't have to he, – He, what he did to, to – which you notice, if you notice in the – when we have the monk fight, you notice there's a, a few kicks that come and hit the monk that have yeah. his legs and his feet. But that ain't him. No. That's one of the stunt dudes. Yeah. And then he runs and he grabs him and, you know – does whatever he does, you know, chokes him out Does and then we get tied up with ropes or something. I can't remember anyway. But, uh, so he did the best he could to be humorous and work that. in. that's why the watermelon at the, you know, it's the outdoor market, you know, we're eating, you know, but he was supposed to know weapons, right? Because he sold them. And you could tell when that dude was holding a weapon that he had held many weapons mm-hmm. and he had, uh, you know, like, like, I didn't understand at first when he was pointing the 45 d- dude and at, at why he was doing this. But then I figured it out later. Oh, yeah, that's so blood and brains and everything else don't end up on you. So, you know, I mean, who knows that? Uh, I know, I mean, I was, like I said, green, but I was so lucky that Max was there. and Max is was uh, a vet and in some hairy shit where bodies were you know he was responsible for saving so many lives he doesn't talk about it but uh and getting him know him over the years I mean he's just pure so passionate about acting and about his craft and that's how he he quietly uses his energies and he's so humble but he'll tell you straight up, you know, what he thinks. Yeah, damn right. I don't care who you are. But that purity and that honor, and he's, you know, I don't know how he makes it, you know, every day, like where where he, how he survives, but he's constantly involved with Post 43 in Hollywood, the most famous uh, VFW, I think it's VFW, Veterans of Foreign Wars or something. But he's over there doing stuff all day long. And this is where Clark Gable and all of these Hollywood people, you now they had a pretty special, shall we say, venue as a post. Yeah. Post, post 43. So, you know, I mean, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. We can still catch up with each other on on a moment's notice. But, you know, he's always staying busy. And um, I think he went through some, some kind of COVID hell. I think he was in the VA, the Veterans Administration Hospital, for three months. On a, he might have been on a ventilator. Again, he, he's not going to talk about this thing. This is the thing about all our vets. You know, they're not going to talk about it. And I don't talk about it because it, who cares? But the fact is, is here's a guy who has uh, seen the world and the worst of it. And, uh, who really put the, put the boots on. But, uh, yeah, I just love him. He's great. We don't, you know, stay in touch as much as we should, but but he's a tactile dude. Like he, he wants to be with people and he's still living in the same place he's been for umpteen years. And I hope it still stays standing. And when he goes down, I hope somebody lets me know because I want to be there to say goodbye. But if not, it is what it is. And, uh, you know, he, I don't know what to say, but he was, he was, we would have so much fun. Um, because at a certain point, you have to surrender and ret- not retreat. You have to surrender to the process, to the people that you're with, to not be thinking about, but to create the trust, and to create the environment to be creative and to accept what's going on and to, just whatever. And and Max is, uh, you know, he's still chasing the dream, man. I love him so much for that, that he's still, he's still going on on auditions and and do this and do that. I think that's really admirable and really amazing. And uh, there's a, there's a chap. um, uh, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, but he's Sajmeister over uh, on social media and, I'm gonna say his name wrong. But in any case, Saj in London, he runs one of my Facebook pages, right? And he's an Uber fan and we've met and all that stuff. So, you know, the whole thing is, is that Max needed a little bit more exposure, so Saj is helping him. And, you know, people like that. You know, the the whole thing is, is Max is gonna never gonna change. He's always gonna be chasing, you know, the dream and wanting to create and wanting to be an actor. And he's, he's amazing when he still rides his bike. I, think he, I don't know how old he is, and I'm not going to say because I really shouldn't. <laughs> but I'm just glad that he's still healthy, he's still with us, that he got through the COVID nightmare. I can remember the last post I saw, because I don't do too much Facebook anymore. Instagram, yes, is him eating a piece of pizza for the first time in three months out on his sort of little roof escape area but he's a brilliant brilliant man uh and so so real and straight like you know blunt and i love that i mean i can be that way too but you know you're always with max because max is is he and um but the vulnerability you see behind that big man is why he wants to share and, and to and to exercise his craft as an actor. But in, in truth, he's a bad dude. I mean, what he did, I don't care for how long. I couldn't do it. I'd be out there throwing up. I'd be, you know what I'm saying? I'd be, I'd take it all with me. I'd be having nightmares. That I'd probably be in a rubber room. But hes uh, he's there, you know, doesn't talk about it doesn't do whatever just making it just living the dream every day bless it's just it's just a wonderful guy that's all i can say i love it
0: to be fair that's the best you can hope for in those situations yeah that's true. so uh talking about blood brothers now although it's billed as a sequel as you said earlier none of them are really connected Was there ever a plan for the sequel to be connected to the second one, or did they always just, from the word go, want it to be a a brand new character for you? Well, I think what it is
1: is that, like Blood Brothers, the script, can't be a continuation of um, Scott Wilde. You know? Um, So it was. First of all, I I, Keith Vitale is one of my idols. Was one of my idols coming up because before you got to see anything, you went to the newsstand and you saw all the mags, you know, yeah. And all the martial arts magazines in the United States was always on the cover. And I'm looking at the cover, going, man, we kind of look like each other, you know. And I'd see him. Then there'd be the pictures of him, like you know he's, he's smacking somebody and with a roundhouse kick or you know or he's standing over somebody and that that he's just knocked swept knocked down and stomped on his head so as far as that that was all always the plan is strandberg was fluent uh the writer was fluent in like roy horan's kind of stole more no treatment from strandberg because he could speak Cantonese, and he was in the business at the time, and CEO knew him, and listened to him. Ah, Saying, you know, we can do this and that and the other thing, and I don't know what happened on, on No Retreat One. I have no clue. I don't know if Roy was there, or not. I don't know if he's, he's in the credits. I have no idea. But so Strandberg wrote this this thing, and he, Keith and Strandberg were friends for way, way longer, like from, I don't know when. From long, long, long time ago. But I, uh, I knew it was going to be whatever it was. I was just chomping at the bit to do it already. Yeah. You know, it took about a year and a half or so, two, two years to finally, uh, get together here in Tampa. But blood brothers was such a great, you know, idea that the story and all of that stuff. When I first read it, I was like, wow. But we didn't know who was gonna be the actual lead name. Strandberg, of course, wanted it to be Keith. But uh and frankly at that point I was like, whatever, you know, I'm just gonna make I'm just gonna do a great job. So for six months before I had started doing two a days training. Because I already know now, because I've been in Asia with these dudes, what I'm gonna be doing. With them very soon, so I was training six hours a day. I was doing all kinds of things to prepare myself. I was training in other kicking techniques and stuff because that's my my mother art, right? Taekwondo. And there wasn't any of this trickstering yet, you know, and all this stuff where these guys are just incredible athletes doing these kicks that are just freaking insane. But uh, so I was ready to go, and then Keith showed up. Uh, just to, just to digress to that, but Keith showed up and he hadn't really been training and all that stuff, and he ended up breaking his arm at, at the stunt audition. You know, because like, they want to suss us out, and film just almost didn't happen because ng we were three days away from principal photography starting, and uh, CM said, uh, Laura do you know anybody that can play your brother? And I said, sorry for the terrible accent. Uh, And I said, uh, no. Like, you understand that no, right, brothers? I mean, like, no. You're not taking him away. You're not going to replace him. You're not going to even mention that idea or or question again. And if he all of a sudden goes away, I'm going away. Because I respected the man so much. You know? And he was one of my idols on prints and everything. You didn't get get to see these Battle of Atlanta things or whatever. They just happened. Now we find out later there's videos of this and that. You can see Keith. So, plus Keith's such a nice guy. I mean, he's just so humble and down to earth and all of the people that he, that were around him at that time, he was still teaching. He still had his American karate uh, echelon and schools and everything. And so that was unfortunate. But then they worked it into the script. And, and then Keith did that whole film without really training up for it. Uh, he's a decade older than I. Yeah. So now put that into perspective. I was 20 five ish 26 when i did uh blood brothers or whatever i don't know how he did it you know uh, with a busted arm you know it's funny because keith <laughs> he was getting pissed at uh strandberg it's like why does it take two of us to whoop this guy's ass you know what well, what the fuck's with that shit you know what? Well, why what was you know and then um uh, uh, lucas lowe he didn 't want to shoot the reconciliation scene. he wanted to end it with you know Franco dying or whatever I'm like no, you can 't do that. We have to reconcile yeah huh? to, this is a movie about brothers, not about you know somebody 's face getting blown off. He gave me one take me and Keith one take and that's and it 's in the movie but um the whole thing about the process is i didn 't have any say in that situation but I did once we started shooting once we were there and then I walked into see you. I said I want to talk to you and then I finally said who's the star of this movie? because at some point I'm not trying to be a prima donna I just want to fucking know like who are you going to put on the top and I said for what I've done and for by saving your film, I think you know who needs to be on. So, yes, Lauren, you the stuff. Okay, thanks. But before that, you know, I mean, because I say disaster. You have no idea what I went through. To the, And they wrote in all this bar scene stuff and Strandberg. And then Stramberg started getting really pissed because we're on the day. And, and this happens all the time in low-budget films. And we have to change up the scene because it's not matched up to what the actual written scene is. It's what's happened, so we're going to go with it. Like when President Bush arrived, and they were able to get a press pass to shoot the actual President of the United States landing and getting off the plane, and then put a put a target over him in the film. Fuck! I didn't know that was gonna was going on. We we know we knew about what we were shooting. That we were supposed to, this ba- these bad guys were going to assassinate the president of the United States. But while we were shooting, I didn't know that and that they had gotten away with that. And then later on, it was like, you know, a shock to see that footage and to know that that was part of it. But, but Strammer got upset because on the day when we're scr- scrunched into the back of this freaking airplane and there's ten other people there, and when there's supposed to be room for maybe eight. And you've got to shoot this. Uh, Okay, what do you want to say, Lauren? What do you want to do? They're asking me. Because I'm the character, right? This is normal. Hey, bro, you get the credit for all this writing. But, you know, let me, let me, we can't wait for you to go back and tap something out. So he got really upset with me. And when I did King of the Kickboxers, he came up to me right before we started shooting and he said, you're going to say every word just the way I wrote it. So I'm giving you guys some behind the scenes real, real shit, real talk. And I'm like, I'll do the best I can. You know, uh, I respect you. I you know, I want you to get what you want, but my character too, I have to create it. And sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. So I understand you. I got you. And I also think he had a little bit of a red ass because of what Roy Haran had done to me, with me. Like he went around me yet, and Keith Stramberg had nothing to do with it. Now he has to work with this, with this guy, because I have a three-picture option with NG. And the NG is so smart, and that if I had gone off and done some other, some of these other independent films that I could have done after No Treatment, Stramberg 2, he never would have used me in Blood Brothers. I kind of knew that I'm like, I had a non-exclusive, but I kind of knew that if I took any other work and I did call him and say, Hey, you know what? I can make X amount on this movie right now. And I got bills to pay because I did not make a lot on, *No Retreat 2. And so he sent me some money and then he took it away from me when, when we were right about to start shooting. I said, Oh, well, since I gave you this, that's how crude and sneaky that motherfucker is. And I'm like, this is not a lot of money. Yeah. You know? And I thought you understood. I'm giving this stuff, and you're helping me out. Now you want it back. Why don't you say that before? You know? Now you're dropping the bomb. What? I'm not going to make but this much? Anyway, it's all good. So, you know, Keith Vitale and Blood Brothers and making that epic fight scene at the end. And doing some freaking epic fights within the film. Guess why? Because dude was in bed getting his arm broken in three places to be able to shorten the cast to basically a wrist, wrist cast. Or I think it went up to here. I can't remember. And then they, of course, they had to keep changing because he was sweating in it so much. You're not supposed to move. you It's very uncomfortable. You know, you guys know that. You can cast it up. But that was uh, that's why the epic fight scene at the dojo that I'm going to go see Rick. You know, just to go hang out and have lunch with his dojo. It doesn't exist anymore. There was a fire there. I was so bummed out when I walked in uh, with my wife because she's only eight minutes away, right? And for years I'm living here and I haven't even gone over there. But I need a reason. Like, okay, my wife's I let me, I blah, blah, blah. But, but By the way, she used to watch me, her and her brother, when uh, her brother was a youngster. Anyway, so, yeah. So I wasn't going to do anything but be as badass as I could. And that's why I think at the stunt audition, you know, I, I had one of the biggest, heaviest Hong Kong stunt guys holding the bag for me so I could do this flying kick. And then at the last minute, the dude walked away, and then they said, okay, Keith, your turn. So I'm not going to tell the world karate champion, one of the baddest men on the planet, that someone needs to hold the bag for him. So what, right? Like I'm not going to interfere. I can see it coming, but. So he just tries to do this double kick, and he just goes. And hits the ground. And this is just. In this little dojo, it was just this industrial carpet glued onto concrete. There wasn't no padding. That was just so you didn't slip on the concrete. You know what I'm saying? And uh, so that was it. He got up and said, oh, this doesn't feel right. I think it's broken. I've never broke any bones in my body ever. Really, dude? I'm thinking to myself, damn, this motherfucker all his fights? Maybe he busts his nose. I don't know, but I mean his arms had never been frayed. He'd never broken a bone. I'm sure he broke some toes by like sticking them in people's faces. But, you know, that doesn't count. Um, so it was, it was like that. You know, that's the way it is when you're on the day. You've got to, you know, make up for it. But then he came back and he was just a champ through the whole thing man. And we worked together so well fighting and it's all about being a great athlete. Because if you're not athletically prepared in the climb, you know, one, you're going to get hurt all the time. You're going to get hurt anyway, but, you know, you won't be able to protect yourself and sell it like you should unless you're an athlete and unless you're willing to take the the lumps and knocks, and and he was. And um, Ryan Hunter, who has disappeared, The bad guy, you know, has the white hair. I don't know where he lost touch. He's probably on some Hopi Indian reserve uh, because he's a shaman. And he just got away from the white man's world. I don't know. Maybe he disappeared back into his roots. But that guy's an amazing athlete. I don't know what he studied or what he was, but he was just a warrior. And so nice That house where we shot my father in the film, Joseph Campanella, getting killed, that house was owned by the state of Florida. We were able to use it for a small fee, but it was uh, confiscated during the trial or as a result of the person living there making real snuff films. People died in that house, horrible deaths. And when I was on that property, I'm getting chills on my spine right now. When I was on that property, I could feel it. I feel things. I don't know about y'all, but I'm at that level where, you know, eventually, right? I feel everything that's going on. And so I didn't understand why I was looking, you know, why I was, why I was gritting my teeth so much and why I was like, oh, like really on edge over there. It's a trip. And so uh, I asked somebody on um, whim, "How do we get this location?" You know, oh, well, it belonged to some murderer. What? Some what? What, what? what? do you mean murderer? Like, are there bodies here? On this? I'm younger then. so. Anyway, so then I found out that the that the police had found behind this guy's some secret vault behind this guy's entertainment center thing. That had all of these snuff films and that many many after watching them that many of the rooms of the house were used so he 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 blessed me you know with uh, sage stick and all that and got you know the negative spirits out as much as possible telling them you know all of, all of that, all of those murdered souls that they're you know they're free to go to, to the next level to release them from this place. Now you may think, okay, this is, that's a bunch of bullshit. Well, no bullshit, man. When you when you go to a place, you know how sometimes a hair stands up on the back of your neck. And there's reasons for that. So that was cool. I mean, you know, he was such a great guy, man. We would party like crazy. You no, know, just to say the herb was was flowing, you know, there was some some smoking, some joking, some drinking, some fun. You know, to to kind of chill, and I'm not. There was that in uh, Thailand too. There was that in both times. Just shit like that going on all the time. As long as it's not at work, never like being with Don Stroud and having him, you know, chug a lug, having a bottle of vodka right next to him or gin, or we're shooting that scene and whatever. I'm thinking to myself, bro, I'm so glad that you're not on the set with us. Doing action, you No? Know? because hey, man, it was cool that the like the sound guy, the tice, the boom guy, he would unroll the cigarettes and put some weed in with you know the tobacco and stuff and back in. So there's a little ganja smell on the set all the time, right? But you know, you need some shit to relax. Look at Bruce Lee. What he would do? He would at the time hashish. You know, to, to, that was the only thing that would make him you know his, him not hurt and uh you know he took whatever a little like kind of thing to just rely that little pill that killed him because he had uh, some kind of aneurysm and it thinned the blood and then it exploded in his brain and that's why he went but let's just say that uh working with keith and working with uh, vitality that was like a, a gift and then working with all like mark uh Russo, I mean, he showed up with my dear friend Scott uh, Sant, who passed away a few years ago here in Florida on Fero Beach side. He lived. But the, when they did the audition, the, the filmed audition uh, of their skills, real acts, you know, like take an axe and just cut a piece of paper with it. And then Russo's full on getting come at with an axe, you know, and he takes this dude out, ninjutsu. Takes his dude out. This dude's training on concrete. They're they're doing the real deal. If Dr. Hatsumi, whatever they say about him, I don't know if he's still alive or not. purple hairy old man. Last time I saw him in a video. Whether he is, um, you know, descendant of the samurai and the ninja, we don't really, really know. But it doesn't matter. His technique is amazing. Because he gets a hold of this, this much of you. Just that much. And you're done. So the you know the fact that Mark allowed us to you know what I mean, use his skills and, and do this thing as a bad guy, he almost broke the one of the stunt men's back by throwing him on that couch because his instinct when something is coming at him is so so been done so many times, so primordial he it just literally snapped this guy's back before he hit the couch edge of the couch, like the dude. We thought his back was broken because you're dealing with real martial here. And when that instinct pops, uh, when you get, you know, psyched up for something for that moment, that's what you're doing. You're doing a fight scene, but it has to be organic. You have to play that role or, or act in that fight scene. But if some dude's coming at you and you have to look powerful, that's, where, that's, his, that's his world right there. Oh, you want me to throw him? No problem. So he's going to do the way it works. And the way it works is, is it's like Lima Lama, you know, uh, karate or whatever, bone-breaking karate, right, in, uh, in Hawaii. And he's going to break your bones. The first thing, he's going to smash you. I mean, every technique that he did with Scott ended with his knee on the side of Scott's head or on his knee on the back of Scott's head, even if he'd already broken his neck. You Know what I mean? That that's the type of martial art, and that's why doing combat jiu-jitsu and learning things similar to that, or excuse me, hapkido and jiu-jitsu, Japanese jiu-jitsu, not DJJ. Yeah, yeah. I I hated rolling. I tried grabbing. I hate my leverage is not in in that. My leverage is in the hapkido methods, which is why there's no small joint manipulation in. UFC or any of these other MMA things. There's no small joint manipulation. There's no real practical. And if some guy has got me completely wrapped up like a python, I still, unless he's got my other arm, both are, both of my arms, you know what I mean, trapped, I can still stop myself from going out. Now I'm just waiting for you to get tired or for us to get sweaty. But who wants to be there on the ground? Dude, I would have stabbed that guy five, ten times before that ever happened because it's the street. we never going to be in a cage with gloves on. I don't know about you, but that's not fun to me. My whole thing with martial arts was to avoid getting hit and then to be able to take getting hit and, you know, give back in kind. But to have some kind of, you know, respect for each other's health. And now they throw these gladiators in a cage and they can box a little bit. They can do a little bit of that and they look like this. But who's the ones that have really become champions? They've already become champions in their own respective art or, you know, several, several degree of black belt. So there you go. But, uh, yeah, fun stuff when you're working. And good to know that you've got the best in the world work, working with you. Like one time I hit Mark, you know, square, and it was in the, the way the, rig, the scaffolding was that we used in the air, airplane hangar of Blood Brothers. Uh, when I swung my uh, press and kick around on the thing, hit him right in the head, and he was like, oh, that's no problem. So that's another thing that's cool about working with, with guys that aren't actors. So many times I worked in stunts, and they, the the director's so st- s wants to get the the 50-50 shot of the two actors fighting with each other always get hurt. Always get hurt. Uh so many times in television, right? I mean I'm not the coordinator. I can't go in there and say, no 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 don't do that. I'm not the coordinator. you know there's an echelon, right? It's in Hollywood or on the studio, in the studios or wherever. I can't say anything. Um, you can whisper in the right ear you know that's that's the thing that is always a problem on and there's a reason for that but um if the director says that you, that's what he wants to have happen the directorial the directorial department in a union shoot for example is directly responsible for the safety of everyone on the set for example the guy that was a union uh First AD on Blood Brothers walked away one day when the guy, when I meet Franco for the first time and the guy has to fall over the railing down. Yep. Yep. He walked off the set and quit. He said, I can't be responsible for that. Because It looked like he just put some boxes up and threw a couple of small mattresses and said, okay, that's enough. You know, he's like, what you're going to do? What? No, and he walked away.
0: Do you know, it's funny because um, I rewatched both. We, we both rewatched these films in order, obviously, to make sure we were, had it all fresh in our minds. And that scene in particular stuck out to me. I actually remember thinking, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was as dangerous as it looked. And you've just basically confirmed that it was.
1: It, was all, it always was. You know, it always is. It doesn't matter if you're doing nothing that one of those 5K, 10K lights fall over and break and kill you. That's why it's one of the top ten most dangerous places to be is on a set, yeah, I mean that mo that's along with bomb diffusal diffusing and working on an oil derrick or uh you know what I mean, just it's so dangerous, so that's why you always are looking around for it and I would you know i I would get shit for this. But I would I would say to the guy, I'd say, could you do me a favor and put an extra sandbag on that, you know, reflector? Because it just looks a little sketchy to me. Oh, now we've got actors telling us, you know, how to grip or how to gaff. I'm sorry, man, but I see it. Can you please? You know, just because I don't want anybody to get hurt. Yeah. Ever. That is the worst thing you can do. And then I've worked in so many Situations where yeah, they're swinging a real shovel in my head, you know, and whatever else. It just is what it is. You adapt, but you always want to protect everyone on the set. Like on the the sticks on the river, uh, or that clong thing under the cage in King of the Kickboxes. They had real sharpened bamboo right right close to the stages or the floors, and I'm, I go through and I go, guys, can you replace those with rubber? Because never mind me, you guys can slip and fall off these platforms, and it's all over. So that's stupid shit that happens, and you've got to CYA, cover your ass. And, uh, and that's the way I am with everybody. That's why I love working with the stunt department, because we get to have all the fun, and we get to you know be low on the totem pole, but then do all the fun shit. Yeah. I mean... Really, it's so much fucking... It's so cool to work with a team and to be called up to do the hairy, hairy hairy-ass shit. I mean, I'm not even going to begin to to tell you what I've done because there's so much more that these guys have done. But um, I'm just honored that they let me come and be a part of that. I mean, I've doubled so many stars in these older shows. Guest stars... Uh, that and even Star Stars, so that that fight scene can happen, so that everyone is protected, you know, and that's it. That's why you get hired, that's why you're doing it, you know. Yeah, and, and yeah, you're expected to get hurt, but if at all costs, there's so many ways now. Like, I'm so lucky that JJ always keeps me kind of up to date on, you know, even 3D shit, you know, and stuff that like Avatar is coming out. Well, Garrett's been working on that. Garrett used to be, Garrett Warren, used to be uh, the chief instructor for Billy Blanks. He and I would go at it when he, he was a world champion, karate champion too. But he's got a patch over his eye now. He's married to Joe Pesci's uh, ex-wife. Great guy. Amazing guy. So Avatar is about, the second one's about to come out, 13 years later. Right? Yeah. So I've been around all of these incredible action masters. And um, it always kind of bothers me, right, that, again, they don't get the credit, but we also have to maintain the mystery, which they can and still award somebody. But um, being able to, to see things, right, is part of being uh, a good martial artist anyway. You know, I mean, you've got to be aware of things and feel things. So many times I've known I was going to – it was the wrong person around the corner. And how did I know that? Well, I worked on it. You had. You have Jack. You know, so that's that's not something that you... That's something you develop. And, uh, you know, I've always been cautious. I mean, when I was a little baby, even, you know, I'd be, like, feeling, make sure that there's, you know, it's just, so it's natural for me. But that doesn't mean I don't do hairy shit. Like, my mom would never, ever come to the dojo, Ever to watch me test, to watch me train. She's, yes, she would come to my school for testings and things like that. Because I know her. If she, If she would have seen me get kicked, she would have run out there and scratched the shit out of somebody. You know what I mean? But she was happy that, that I was doing what I love. Because I begged her for the first bit of tuition to go to so I didn't have any money. I was going to junior college and just got my car. I love it. So, you know, let's hear it for our families who support us, yeah, and uh, for those we love who allow us to fail or allow us to try and, you know, are there not kicking us when we're down but lifting us up. And let's pray that all people are a little bit more like that than, from what I see, lately aren't. So hopefully they have some kind of epiphany. But anyway, so
0: yeah, I'm lucky. What did you, how was it uh, working with Lucas Lowe? Because obviously it's different to working with the team from the second film. I'm assuming you must have got on a little bit because obviously he did King of Kickboxes as well. That motherfucker's evil. <laughs> Straight
1: up. Evil. Uh, he enjoyed being the king and I, i'm I have nothing against smaller people right but he had a napoleon complex like you can't believe that dude was compensating constantly I mean he just had which is very if i may you know very you know the whole Asian thing you know he didn't want to lose face ever and he was the director and he would sit there and smoke his cigarettes and <laughs> you know do the whole fucking thing but how he was to work with was, he was so creative. He was a force that, that made you uh, better, but also needed to be reined in a little bit. Like, otherwise, motherfuckers, you know, you would have been happy if it would have been Hong Kong. Okay, drag that one out, bring in the next one. Really. And, uh, but Lucas was a trip and I, I just always loved working with the stunt department. Like Tony Liu Shen Hong, I can remember him bawling up his fist and being off camera to the side saying about to punch me in the face for real. Turn into it. And boom. Get punched. Turn into it. Boom. Get punched. See, I had not even react the first time properly. And he's going to crack me. So, I put cotton in my mouth and bit on it because we didn't have them. it. Was just, just right there, all of a sudden, and then Tony's going, "We're friends, right, Lauren? We're friends." I said, "Of course, Tony." I said, "Do what you do, man. Just please, just hit me right here. Don't hit me here. Don't break my jaw, please." And pang, and then okay, now let's try that again. No, no, no. Again, again, again. So Lucas would. Uh, Lucas was evil in the sense that you know he enjoyed watching us. Get the shit knocked out of ourselves, and uh, he would use always use the script to storyboard and to make his notes. And somewhere I have a No Retreat, No Surrender two uh, script from that's mine. It's somewhere in there, and I have the one from Blood Brothers or whatever. But that was always changing, anyway. But so he was the one who wanted to really push you more to to to, and 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 the crew when you see, when you're a part of that Chinese crew and you're working on the docks of, of Hong Kong or whatever, with these guys and you have earned their respect. That's the greatest honor. I mean, really. Uh, so like working with Tony, we're friends, we're friends, you know, so he cracks me or whatever. That was, that was, uh, blood brothers. And then King of the kickboxes, he came back. I was so glad that he was there. And, uh, These guys will break their fucking, like the guy who doubled me kicking Matthias, Rocky. That dude, somehow he broke his back. He's living somewhere in mainland China, you know. But that guy, I mean, I don't know, balls. The biggest fucking balls. I can't tell you how big the balls. Because he was ready to die to do whatever it was that he was asked. So it's just so amazing. So I get back to the stud guys. I'm telling you that that, you know, makes you want to, right? You know, it's not, I hear a lot of stuff about actors today and them not wanting to, you know, do things. Not going to name names, not going to say things. But, uh, dude, that's what you signed up for, so I don't get it, you know. Uh, and you got this, if you chose to be shirtless and if you chose to be whatever, you ought to be able to hit the deck a little bit yourself more or when it's not just you kicking or punching people whatever because look at the women's stunt, stunt people look at what they have to double i mean where is there anywhere to put ads yeah it's awesome so i, I always I always fall back to um, us as a team working with lucas was really you really had to be on your game on point at all times And then always be asking him, always be reminding him that this is a Western story. This is going to, you know, require these words, like, you know, fighting for that last scene in uh, Blood Brothers. Yeah. I couldn't believe it was happening. I was outraged. I was like, I was going to Angie going, he's like, it's going to happen. So that's it. I mean, but Lucas was, uh, I mean, I think that's a degree of understanding. Uh, he just personally, like we went out to dinner some one time in, in Bangkok with some actress and some, and uh, Keith Stramberg was there and whatever, because Keith would also translate sometimes. Lucas could speak very good English, but, but so somebody was like, oh, I love hot food. I can't remember. If it was four or five of them. So Lucas puts as many red hot Thai chili peppers in the fucking soup as I don't know, I mean, that would kill, kill a normal human, I guess. I bet you that, sorry, but that brother was on the toilet all night going, ow. But uh, he would do that shit, you know, because again, he didn't want to lose face. And uh, But he's so creative. I mean, that's, you know, he would come up with these scenarios and these angles, and, you know, the group that he was with was so, every, everybody's so loyal. You know, I mean, it's like Alpha Stunts, so you'll sleep on the set. It's the same thing with Hong Kong. You know, Alpha Stunts is a long, long long ago organization here that the Costco's would work with and all these other guys. All these guys are like amazing. So all I can tell you is it's the women. Yeah, I mean,
0: um, you don't have to to tell me about Alpha Stunts, aside from the fact that I have all of their films, um, the Power Rangers in the background, (laughs) Greachy Sakamoto's uh, birthplace.
1: Well, Koichi is so awesome, man. He uh, came and played with me on a little part. Yeah, he's, he's and all of these guys. Uh, I can't remember the, the original Alpha stunt and uh, but Koichi is such an awesome guy. He inherited a lot from from doing that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So working with Lucas was you better be on point. You better cover your ass and you better be in shape. And you better be ready and you better, you know, uh, yeah, you better be ready to bust your ass from A to Z. And, um, even though he has all of these loyal people around him and departments or whatever, you've, uh, you've got to, remember that everybody is you know, that he is the boss right, of course, give him the respect but then talk to him with your heart don't try to be don't try to fight power with power fight it with truth and fight it with your heart that's life, that's how you can speak truth to power right? so effectively is because you're not trying to out power the power you're simply being Truthful, and you can't stop. You can't stop that. Right? You can't. You can't argue with that. So I was just always when I would work with him, I would never uh, really fight with him or yell at him or yell with him. He was even if he was yelling at me, I would always, you know, just but I'd say, you know, to somebody else like Tony or whatever, I'd say, "Well, oh, sir." I really can I just, please, can you tell them that I have to pee or something like that and then I'll be right back and go piss blood. So, you know, it is what it is. Shit blood, piss blood, whatever. You've been in a fight. Every day, you're fighting five grand championship tournaments and, because the Chinese expect, and, it's what I love a lot about a lot of these choreography guys now too, is they expect the, for, Get blasted! You know, you're, you're gonna get blasted. Too. So that's why when I see kind of some of the more modern hero guys, and they're not really taking it that much, like even Bruce Lee would get, you know, every once in a while, you know, cracked from the side or something. Anyway, so yeah, it's always going to be the stunt uh, department that I that I give the most props to, and, and um, Lucas was a stuntman. He wa- he did do that. He worked his way up. He was so creative. As a choreographer and as a filmmaker that just had to respect him or right, NG wouldn't have hired him. He's, he was groomed to be the, you know, the next young Kwai, you know, the next uh, major director. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know where he is now. Do you?
0: No, I, I don't off the top of my head.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what he's doing. He's probably dead from eating
0: overspiced chilies. <laughs> no so. it's 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 funny actually because one of the reasons that i really enjoyed re-watching the films is uh we previously on the show i've covered a couple of other cory films um we did um he says and then his brain blanks we did another one that also has Cynthia it. Rothrock all, in. Time,
1: all the time to me man I've been, <laughs> con-
0: I've been concussed so many times and i don't even worry about it. It was, yeah, the, one of the earliest episodes I did was on writing wrongs. And when I rewatched the second film with you, I if you if I didn't know it was one of his films, I'd still be able to tell straight away from the choreography, the timing and the rhythms. And one of the best compliments I think I, I could and have given you when we've talked about you with other people is you can nail the Hong Kong choreography to the point that it could be a Hong Kong film that I'd released in China and I'd believe people. And what I find so interesting is Blood Brothers doesn't have that same rhythm, but it's still just as good to the point that that final fight in the hangar constantly comes up in top 10 best fight scenes ever made. And I just think that's in any other person's filmography, the film they did with Corey would be the one that is regarded as the best, you know? That's right. And,
1: you know, I'm glad to hear you say that because it seems like, you know, you get it when it's, it comes to uh, the filmmaking and the martial arts blending together. And uh, Keith spoke, speaks of this vitality. You know, as a fighter, you know, you're taught not to show any reaction at all. Whereas it's completely opposite. The fact that Lucas, uh, you know, like we don't know where he is now or whatever, um, and the fact that Lucas was given that control and that power, that just says it all. But without a doubt without a doubt you, you can't fake it you know um, if you're going to work if you, I'm so I'm so blessed and so lucky that I got to, I got to play with these guys because now when I get, when I would go and do other stuff with other people, if I had been allowed to, I could have made things so much more intense and better but you have to know your place you yeah. can't be. You can't be effing with somebody in another country who, you know, or whatever. I mean, you just got to kind of go with and do the best you can to look good and to sell out yourself to compensate for the lack of, uh, training or skill or whatever, athleticism on the day. But you know that with these, with these dudes that you're with, I don't care who they are, what color, uh you don't know them and they don't know you. So you just got to make sure they don't wipe your face off when they're doing their thing because I like to exchange. I like to make things look real and have that, you know, fact that he just took that and came right back and, you know, that kind of thing. So even when I was, I always loved, so in other words, it was really hard to do a lot of the other little movies that I did and and even some that I produced because I knew that I didn't have in the in the United States that that type of environment where all of these mean, uh, you could really put something together. So now let's let's use some tricks and let's let's bring in some badasses that I know and do the best we can.
0: I, I think, to be honest, a lot of the people that experienced making films the Hong Kong way have had that experience of not being able to m- measure up to what they know they can do. I mean, the first time I saw Keith Vitali was in Wheels on Meals with Jackie Chan, and Yin Yunbyu and Samuel Hung. And in that film, I mean, he's openly said he couldn't keep up with Yunbyu, but he is ridiculously quick in that film. And then you see him in something like Force 5, which also has Benny Oquirez in it, and they look like they are moving in slow motion because no one had a clue what to do with them they didn't know how to put those guys shoot- together how to shoot them yeah
1: but uh Sam-O did
0: you know oh yeah so, so Samo is one of my favorite filmmakers yeah, isn't he the one who directed that that film he, he yeah yeah on. that's that's the Samo hung film
1: yeah you have to you have to remember i've been cracked a lot in this 500 pounds of shit in a five pound bag. So I have the same problems. Don't even worry about it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, Keith asked me to put together something for Dana White, just to cut together something really quick of the two of us. Cause uh, he had a meeting with Dana and Dana has been trying to buy the rights to every martial arts film ever for his martial arts channel or martial arts movies channel movie channel right yeah yeah i don't know where that's gone or what what's happened with that but uh so i put something together and i didn't include his fight with yun giao in wheels on meals because i said but keith you're constantly being bested by this guy in those moments i said but that's something i wanted in there and i was like well, you should have told me you know, that you want that in there. So I put together a two and a half, three minute reel of, because then I look at the stuff like that he did with, uh, Strandberg, even American kickboxer and whatever. And it's just not even, no. can't even be mentioned in the same thing. And I was supposed to do American kickboxer or do or whatever, but I was, un- I was going to go do King of the kickboxers. If I had done anything again. Not set, not written in the contract. It was non-exclusive. On my part. But if had I gone and made that choice, I never would have played the character or been the lead of King of the Kickboxes. Never. Ng's. If again, he would have lost face. Even NG admits uh, so many times he was asked to loan out some of his people to work on other films. He actually got his... Ass beat, and ar- broken bones from the triads for refusing to allow uh, one of his actors to work on a- another set with another group. So that's I didn't know that until later. Yeah, but once you understand that in the lexicon of, or in the in the arena, not in the lexicon, in the arena that you're working in understand what power lucas had and the, the ultra evil ng see we called him ng but you know what ng stands for don't you uh, i don't know Not no good, good. ah <laughs> no good so uh, he's fine. He's hiding up. I think he's not well. I wish him the best. I wish I could get a hold of the masters. I wish I could talk to him in some way and say, you know, however you say it, the most respectfully in Cantonese, I can't remember, but like you would say in Vietnamese, "Dieu," you know, please give me, you know, the opportunity, the honor of just just my films in your library because now you're company is defunct and that's why you don't see any re-releases of these things except in England where I think it was Green Films or I can't remember who first got a hold of the Masters they kept them, yeah so they're still cranking them out
0: well it's like uh I've said this to a few people as well because um, not every American has like realized this Um but uh, you will because you worked in it but A lot of the uh, Hong Kong-made films, if it was before 1997, we kind of have an advantage on why we got a hold of them. So it's not hard to get hold of those particular films. And I grew up watching them; like they were just on television. And a lot of Americans, even Europeans, they don't have that experience. Like for us, it was easy.
1: That that is very true. But it's a sad thing that you know you can only see these movies on YouTube and they're booted. And the other thing is, is this recent release in Germany on Blu-ray, yep. I was courted by a couple of, of these people from uh, whatever the name of the distribu- bullshit distribution company it was. But somebody got hold of the master, was able to dub it on the Blu-ray But of oh, Shamrock Films. I found out that the main offices in Holland, they burned the Blu-rays in Austria, and they sold them in Germany. But you won't see any more of them out because Interpol doesn't care, first of all. I mean, if it was Mercedes or Audi or somebody like that, yeah, okay, fine. they will try to do something about it. But some old B movie, no. Germany is sorry. Sorry, Germans. Sorry, Germany. But they are the piracy king of all kings because they can use these ways of manipulating the, the countries that are near them. Holland having an office there, having the product burned in Austria, but that's a total ripoff. That was not an authorized release. That was not an authorized Blu-ray release. That's all piracy. And a thousand of those sold one day. Like that. It was it was there and was gone. You couldn't even fulfill any further orders. And that was it because it was all it was all a ripoff, And that sucks. I really would like to get a hold of the Imperial Entertainment cuts of Blood Brothers and of King of the Kickboxers. And Shapiro Blickenhouse Entertainment had the release here. But uh, Alan Shapiro uh, is gone. Blessed his heart. He loved me. I loved him. He was a wonderful man. Uh, Blickenhouse I never met but Alan Shapiro was such a wonderful man, which is rare in distribution. He was always trying to say, you should use Warren in these films, you know, as a distributor. He was wonderful. And I wish I had the, had the ability that, cause he's gone now too. I don't know who has the pictures and the elements and, from No Retrino Surrender* too, that was released here theatrically in 2,500 theaters. Yeah. And that did a better per screen average than Dolph Lundgren's red scorpion at the time, which was the, was the top was yeah, the yeah. film of that genre at that time. Nice. Yeah. And I was, you know, I mean, look, I'm owed millions of dollars. I'll never see, but that's okay. Cause, uh, it's like work or stay home. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's go. Cool. You know, and I'm so grateful because I would be, honestly, I would be one of these stunt guys or one of these unknowns. I'm just so lucky. I really am. I'm like, right place, right time, ready. Luck meets opportunity. And uh, I want to keep going. But it's, and I, this script I just sent to Scott, I rewrote, rewrote for me. And I'm going to get back on the computer and start writing again uh, to redo a script that I wrote. And I'm going to keep trying but Man, this business is brutal. The business is brutal because everybody's full of it Sorry, yep. but, you know. uh and i'm i don't I, I'm not worried about losing work because I'm not working anyway' to, you know they're banging on the door, but they don't have the money. If somebody had the money, okay, I'd think about it. but then, how do I want to be remembered really at this point? How do I want to be remembered? Plenty of ways I can make more money. That's not the problem. It's knowing you know, what you want to – because you're only as good as your last. Now, this risk factor thing I did with Jalal, hey, I did that when I needed money and also then deadly ransom happened that this guy wrote. And that I wasn't allowed to do what I wanted to do with that. And the reason why you see these things shot not so well is these guys don't – they didn't know about undercranking. Vitaly didn't know about undercranking or overcranking or angles or understanding being a part of the actual. these. Um, remember, these guys are masters. I mean, Tony was doing most of the stuff with an Airy 2C that has the three uh, lenses on it, which you can switch. Handheld. You know, you just hold it like this. You choose the speed. There's some dude behind him. He's got some batteries on him, whatever. Blah blah blah. And we're shooting at because there's no room for anything else. But if you look at it, the way he frames it and the way he cranks it just enough, and with but with billion eyes fight, there were a lot of times he couldn't shoot it, but anything but 24. He wouldn't undercrank it to 22 or 19 because we were too fast. Yeah. It was so fast, and we got it so quickly. And then it's got to match somewhat, and then also you got to pick your moments to have some slow-mo or have some whatever, which means 88 or whatever it is. And um, so what you see is these guys that don't, director that wasn't smart enough like Dick Donner with Lethal 4 when Jet Li was going to do his fight scene, they just turn everything over to you and quit. Yeah, it's your set, your thing, do it. And when you saw Lethal 4, that's why Jet, you know, really got on the map, even though he was doing stuff in in uh, the comp, It's because Yunkwe. Yunkwe had control of the reins. And when I watched that, when it first came out, I was like, wow. Who fucking did that? And then I find out at the on the crawl because I'm one of these guys that reads the crawl, of course, because these are my, these are my uh, peers as it were. A lot of people don't do that and shame on them, you know, walking out of the theater or there's no theater anymore or whatever. They're cutting it off on the television or whatever, not allowing people to see that, it, whatever. It's just a little, you know, a pet peeve. But uh, yeah. So all I can tell you is, is that, these guys don't know how, don't know what they're doing when it comes to shooting action or how to, or what they didn't know about undercranking or they didn't get it. You don't get it that you, I mean, they knew about that shit in Charlie Chaplin days. Yep. Okay. I mean, you guys don't get it, but your directors of photography, CSA or not CSA, whatever their union is or ASC, I always get their acronyms screwed up.
0: Anyway. No, I- it, it, what, can uh,
1: what can you do?
0: Well, exactly. But you know, it's something that unfortunately still happens today. Uh, <laughs> I, I did an episode about Mortal Kombat, and we pretty much spent the entire hour and a half ripping it to shreds for more than just how how the way it was shot and edited. But it it's just comes down to the fact that the the people that have the money don't really care as long as it's gonna sell seats. They don't yeah. actually care it- what the final product looks like. And they, you know, I can remember whatever,
1: whatever. I can't remember who the producers were, but my buddy was working for them, and uh, and they had been, they had had Mortal Kombat in the works for so long, and just didn't shoot it. What I don't know what they were waiting for, and you know the film, and then the follow up, and then the follow up, and I was, you know, there at the production office and all that stuff, and all you know, a lot of those. Other characters, first of all, you mentioned me, you know, I mentioned J.J. Perry. He was Scorpion and Cyrax and then the Sub-Zero in the television series, J.J. Perry, when he does all that form. That's a to one form, but he's added a few, you know, power, power ice moves to that form. And, um but yeah, so... So they did the best they could with the TV show. Yeah, Conquest
0: was fine. I didn't mind that with Daniel Bernhardt. I, it wasn't great, Daniel's but I thought... For, a, Daniel's amazing,
1: man. I mean, that yeah. guy, when I saw... Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead.
0: No, no, go. no. You go ahead. I, I was just going to say, like, for me, that was my introduction to Daniel. And once I saw him, he kind of stole the show for me. And then I found out he had other films. So it was great. Daniel, uh, I think... I don't know what his... Ma- his up.
1: What what he's trained in, but I saw Kamel Kreefa, uh Jean Claude's trainer was a good friend of mine, and my manager at the time, and Gary Danielson sent me his stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're ripped, you're a badass, you're gonna be a big fucking star. Just just keep putting your shit out. So before he done anything. same thing with Daniel Bernhardt. So you know. Trying to get their shit around. So here's Camel. And he's like, you know, more look at this guy. And uh, all he was was bouncing around, you know, and kind of laughing and not really doing much, but in kickboxing pants and, and didn't say a word. And that was his two minute or whatever uh, tape. And so I didn't know what to make of him. He was like, okay, so I guess he's done nothing. But eventually, I guess he got kickboxer too. Yeah. And uh, he came out, and now you know he did John Wick and all that. Which so I have so much, you know, respect for him. Really, take going the opposite road, which is again st- the stunt road, because you work more and you make more money. Believe it or not, than sometimes some of these B movie deals or these other things, you know, because you're working, you're working, you're working on John Wick. Your residuals are going to be up the ass for a long time, and. The thing is, is uh, also he's tatted up. I don't know why or what the whole thing. is. It? you know, he came over as I don't know what his background European, right? I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's,
0: he's European. I can't remember exactly which country, but
1: somebody, Googled Google this.
0: Somebody Google this. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, so uh, but that's the that was my exposure to him, and then all of a sudden he's in Keep Watcher Two and all this stuff, and now he's still working. Uh, Him doing John Wick and getting to have the honor of uh, fighting with Keanu and with all the guys at 8711 and and be a featured guy. It doesn't say much, but, you know, that's what you do when you're at 8711. You're, you know, and Chad and and all those guys are just amazing. And Chad produced JJ's film. JJ Stunts Unlimited. I don't know that Chad is mobbed up with any particular stunt group. I think they had their own for a while. I don't know. Brand X or something. I can't remember. All I can say is, is yeah, there's, there's some dudes who know how to shoot the action. That's for sure. Stahelski knows what he's doing. Uh, he knows. And John Valera, incredible martial artist, incredible fight choreographer. And so many of these guys now that are getting it right. Uh, JJ, you can see in Day Shift him being pure, but you don't know how many movies he's second in the director. That again, he's not there choosing the shots. He's not there saying, "Okay, that's the one." And da da da. He's second unit. It doesn't matter. He's getting more. He's making more money doing that than being a director. Yeah. And uh, and it is what it is. That's the nature of the biz. But. Some of these guys get it. Like, boy, it's like, when I, I was in Hawaii, you know, watching my TV with my feet up, and I'm, like, watching Undisputed going, I can't remember what it was. Stuff, it was three. And I'm watching this choreography, and I'm going, that's JJ. And I wait to the end credit rolls, because, again, I'm in Hawaii watching some fucking cable. And uh, there he is, you know. And, uh, boy, do I know some stories about that. And then there's Scott. I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? This is how out of tune I was in Hawaii because when you're in Hawaii, there's nobody gonna stop you from doing nothing but you, you <laughs> can do what you wanna do. And uh, so I was that was that was me taking care of my mom and also build a house over there, you know, live there. Because I'm not one of these dudes that's gonna go talk about my problems in group therapy, you know, and no, uh-uh. I lost my mom. I lost the, my my only parent my mother and father at the same time and took care of her until then. And that, you know, that, let me tell you what man, meant to all the caregivers out there. You know, my heart is with you with my, my love to you and my support to you because it's so important to take care of people, especially our elders in the house as much as long as possible. And then when they have to go or somewhere to be there every day, if you can. And, uh, because it's awful. But anyway, so that was my way of therapizing, using my energy productively because I'm not... Look, I'm a touchy-feely guy. guy. I like to hug and, you know, talk about stuff, but then there's just places you don't go because you can't stop. You know? So you got to, as as a warrior, as a martial art, fellow martial artist, but I say a warrior in the sense that that is our choice to serve others, to... Be there for those we love before ourselves, and so that was really hard for me. So I needed to be in Hawaii, bro. If I was in LA, I'd have you know gone bananas. I was already going bananas in LA. but that's the deal. So it's uh, it's interesting how all of the stuff that I see and all the characters that have been ripped off from characters that I played and all the games and all the stuff. You know it's just nice to be able to come on you know your podcast or it, to talk to anybody anywhere who's interested in what, what really happened and, and to care so you know I, I'm glad man I'm glad that I'm still here to talk about it and I wish I wish that uh, you know I had the t- chance to transition into coordinating and all that kind of stuff way back in '94. Uh, Howard Jackson wanted me to go over and uh, replace Garrett Warren on a some series being shot in Hawaii but I chose not to because I couldn't I came home and I saw my little daughter and I was like oh my god and now I'm going to be living out of a suitcase and so you make your choices right it's just, you know I, you have to look in the mirror at yourself and so I admire JJ for being the man he is and to raise a family I, I I videotaped his wedding. And you know what I'm saying? Because I was that guy. That guy among all of these, you know, badasses that would actually record it. Be the nerd, yeah. And to see where all these guys are now—that I, you know, I wanted to ma- make so many B movies with it. The Silent Force was stolen, and then you know, And then this woman made 18 other films. That's what we were going to do in '95, when that was shot. Is make two or three. And, try to be like Andrew Stevens who had was making 19 films a year with his four different companies. But you know what I mean? To be be out there creating, but really putting it down. And, uh, you know, we made that silent force film for nothing and it just happened. So who knows? I mean, I probably will show up again, but, this is what I'm trying to imbue with Scott and with whoever will listen. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm an old man at the sea, like I know everything, but I know one thing is that you can wait for the phone to ring and be hot. I'm so glad that Scott has been hot for 10, 12 years. Yep. But longevity means creating your own product. you got to be Sylvester Stallone at some point you got to do whatever and i'm not saying him directly but take his model yeah now he's on a different in on a different level but scott's close these days you know you like i think jai white has a production company but and was doing some stuff but i haven't seen anything yet
0: in no sure. I, I don't know what's going on with his production company he's he seems to he announces a lot but nothing has materialized yet
1: right so there's the deal i mean well i also know some of the people that are, sorry but that he's working with and can understand why
0: ah it, it is funny though you said about scott adkins because yes he, he has definitely been hot for like 10 to 12 years and i find it funny because i I, I, well, I have a path of progression to scott adkins that involves the uh, people <laughs> behind
1: separation me from scott adkins now
0: yeah 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 because uh, obviously we, we mentioned koichi uh, sakamoto earlier but there's an actor who worked on uh one of the series of power Rangers called time force and he did a film called us seals 2 which was also an isaac florentine film it had andy chang as the uh guy doing the fights and they got dan on and the sequel to that project it wasn't a three sequel much like the no surrender films were but it was special forces and that was uh one of scott's earliest mm-hmm. roles that is also the one that introduced him to isaac And it's just, it's so crazy when you go back and you see the people behind the scenes and you think everyone's just one or two films away from each other, you know? Absolutely. And uh, I had no guidance uh, in my
1: career. I was totally feeling my my way in the dark because there were so many sharks that that you swim with. But um, yeah, I mean, this is why I'm sending him the script and I'm happy enough that maybe he'll read it Okay, you know. But he's also saying, Oh man, I've got so many things that I would like to do. So how many scripts or how many projects do you have me in mind to uh, play the role role of? And there's just two right now that I have control over. And one I just sent him a polished version of that's kind of a familyized uh, sci fi well science fiction I guess we could say, but just some, some kind of some some little of this and a little of that, but there's really no cursing. There's really, uh, there is a lot of action and some violence. And violence. But it's more about like a, like a family action film. Like, like, can we go back a little bit and not have all of this nastiness in front of a little kid who sees, who's seen everything and has killed 50,000 people already with, with video games or whatever. But let's, let's bring it down a notch again and go back a little bit and let's do some character stuff. And let's, uh, let's make Touchstone or Disney-ish stuff and some, you might say it's corny or cliche or whatever, but bring a tear to one's eye, but also then get behind the character without a whole lot of other crazy CGI stuff, which we'll need a little bit of, of for this film. And then the other film that I'm going to polish up and send to him, I mean, these are things I wrote for myself. But the, the whole idea is the core of story never changes. It's always a human story with all of these hyper-real things that you can do in storytelling and doing it on film, because it's got to be something that's fun and interesting, but it's something that I think Scott gets, and you know J.J.'s doing freaking crazy contorted vampire movies but I see I knew about all this shit before the first thing that Jay did when he got Day Shift is send me a a copy of the script and that's when I went oh my god oh Jesus dude this is a piece of one. and And then he showed me what he had pre for the opening sequence and I just wrote him one line text I'm not worried anymore (laughs) (laughs) and then A year and a half or so later, they roll on it because of COVID and this and that. And uh, Jamie Foxx is just amazing. Uh, He makes me laugh. And I believe him in every role he plays. He's so talented. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's a a natural progression. But when you see guys like it's like watching Smokey in the band, you know that a stunt guy directed that shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I mean, you can just fucking tell. And I've been on low-budget things where guy, you know guys that were second unit or are stunt directors—they don't know what to do. It's a trip because you get to a point in, in creative t- story storytelling using images that sometimes you know you need. So I, I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times on little kind of films. I came and whispered in their ear, and, you know, this is, shoot, 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 try this. Do I get any credit? No. It doesn't matter. End product is what matters. So that's the thing. It takes a team. You know, when that guy gets that uh, Best Actor award, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much a singular thing. But without all the supports of all the departments, the makeup, the hair, the this, the right director, whatever, you're not going to get that Best Actor, whatever best makeup and all this i mean that's so sorry just to me i you lose me are we going to do best hairdressing next i don't understand do they have that
0: they might do i don't know i'll be honest i don't watch the oscars i haven't for a long time well it's probably getting there anyway man
1: yeah i mean you know but it's a lot of it's a lot of the machine because i'm not a member of the academy i was of course a screen actor's Guild member so i got to one year be chosen to choose the nominees, you know, by anonymous ballot. I was given a little card so that I could go to every movie, even at the AFM to, uh, to watch. But anyway, uh, yeah. so it's, but it's, it takes a team, you know, it takes yeah. the whole group to make everything work. And you can't, uh, you can't, you can't change what's happening sometimes, you know. You just got to roll with it. And you realize, "Ugh, this is going to be terrible, but I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability."
0: That's all you can ask for. So I only have one question left and then I, I think we'll call sure. it a close. All right. Um it's late for you guys. I, it's really not. We I think I speak I can say safely on Jay's behalf, we're not we're going to be up for many hours, yet. <laughs> that's all good bro um yeah we've got too. vampire always nice uh king of the kickboxer you've obviously mentioned it a few times anyway which actually was great because as i say that was going to be uh the, the bonus question but every action fan that i know and i don't know if you know this or not but there's a there's a group of people on twitter that have sort of created this action twitter society So there's there's a bunch of podcasters, bunch of critics, bunch of just regular fans. Everybody loves action films. The amount of love that King of the Kickboxes gets from everyone. I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about that film, about you, about Billy. And I was just wondering, like, do you have you experienced that yourself? Do people always ask you about that film in particular? Or is it a different film for you that maybe people like to resonate with?
1: You know what? It's. It's, uh, everybody kind of, I think, likes, not necessarily King of the Kickboxers, but the first one that I was in. Yeah. Must no Surrender 2, for some reason, they gravitate to that one. Maybe it's in Kwe, maybe it's just maybe it's a little bit more innocence in that story, uh, not so much blood or whatever. But King of the Kickboxers it was some bozo on YouTube who was ripping me and my acting all of this stuff apart, you know, and obviously, I don't know, he wants to give Van Damme a job really bad or something. I don't get it.
0: Huh. Oh, I know. I know exactly which guy that is. Yeah. So I just
1: ignore all that stuff because every comment, everybody's saying it for me. You don't see anything. You don't know anything about what this is, this, how amazing this is and how whatever. So now he did that with Jai White and, got him on the show so i have no idea maybe that's his reverse let me hate this guy and then get the guy to come and explain himself well no i'm not going to lend credence to you bro you have no clue you're clueless and always will be i'm not going to go for the bait but king of the kickboxers man like i said in blood brothers i had a brother Right, so Keith and I, we got to play off each other. So, I mean, I, I think I carried the film pretty good with, with Keith, yeah. uh, never. And uh, God knows some of the lines we have to deliver are just terrible. But No Retreat, i had. sorry, Two has a certain innocence, and that was the first one. But King of the Kickboxers was the last one for me. So, with, with Seasonal, because I know he's not going gonna to find somebody else. And he had already done that with Gary. We're gonna make Bloodman. So when I think of King of the Kickboxers, and I think of my experience with Billy, my experience with Keith Cook, who is without a doubt one of the most incredible martial artists. Uh, he used to do for forms and snap. But China O'Brien, you watch him in that. Uh, you watch him in some of these other things, but really, playing prang to me. I can't think of anybody else. You know, they brought Don Wilson in. They brought uh, a few other, Gerald Okamura or someone who's totally wrong for it. I, I was there for the auditions, but none of these guys knew who I was. And Don knew Don, I yeah, but a, a couple of these other folks knew. I mean, I, I was there to be the action dummy and also to, you know, just check their action and also to sort of run read lines with them.
0: I, I, I got to say, I do love Don, but I'm so happy Keith got it.
1: Yeah, no, Keith. Keith was it because John wouldn't have been able to keep up with the demand, the de- the demands of. Uh, no disrespect to Don, man, I would not want to step in the ring with that dude even today.
0: Uh, yeah, not agreed. at
1: all. Not at all. However, you know, playing prank, I mean, it required the kind of incredibly diverse and incredibly athletic ability of, of kicking of uh and boxing skills and the choreography skill uh, the ability to well anyway you, you know the best yeah. one of the best to, to in the world at the time and uh you know but we worked together like one one of the scenes where praying is he's got to do three spin kicks in a row and he's like lauren the last one man i just i can't get around the third one i said jump so that's where it is. So we work together as a team. But without uh, Billy being so generous with what, you know, because here's a guy who could pick the buttons, buttons off his shirt. So accurate. Just like Keith Cook, so accurate. Like within a millimeter he can come of your face, you know, or whatever and not touch you. But sometimes has to touch you. And, you know, the thing about it is, and he's going to do it, and he's going to be full blasted. So, if it wasn't for Billy, man, never could have made it work. You know, him picking this Jamaican accent, and him doing this whole character that he has to be. And then he goes off, and I don't know, I never watched TC 2000, or any of these movies that Jalal Mirai scooped up. Because when I met Jalal after I'd done the kickbox, I was looking at him at the AFM going, who the fuck is this guy? So I had a little bit of a, you know, shall we say I don't know, I was pretty cocky at that point. Yeah, so King of the Kickboxers is just one of the most amazing fights. It's always will be. Black Belt magazine had my three films only only surpassed by Bruce Lee back in the day. I have the the copy of the mag. Now, God knows there's some really amazing stuff that people are doing now, you know. But I love the the idea and the choreography that, that it, you can't replace physicality, but you can enhance it. In other words, there's, there's time when impact is necessary or, or actual, actual impact is necessary or hitting is necessary. And there's times when it's, it doesn't increase the power on film at all. Rather the cell of the other person is what's, what's doing it. Right. And, um, so, king of the kickboxers here, you have Billy who has taken off all possibility of putting any padding on his upper body at all. And how do you double? It's just like Matthias who had to do all of his own stunts. How are you going to double a six foot six German guy in Thailand? No, they can't. And then um, with Billy, they put this is terrible, but this. Um, Stunt guy, we call him, I think he was, he was, it was either. I can't remember his name, but put shoe polish on himself so he could do the Hong Kong twist and hit the ground to double build. Otherwise he did it all. I mean, and he's totally completely bare. There's no way that there's any way that he can lessen what he's going to see. Yeah. Uh, as far as, so I was very careful. Uh, he could take it, but there's no reason to. I mean, there's no reason if there's no if it doesn't if it's not going to help. There's no reason for contact at all. You no, know? I mean the fact of the matter is it's not a. Yeah, it's, there's an ego component, but it's not necessary. And I'm so lucky that Billy was so generous. And then then there be certain times where I kind of know that i've got i've either got gotta get stuck you know like or I gotta give it and um at, there's a sequence with where the two of us are exchanging and that's at the two shot and the gates in the back there, and I have to hit him with like a push kick or a front kick, and I know I have to knock him backwards as part of this is that time of the fight where I come back, so I stuck him good with. A front kick, you know, a teak or a front kick, but, you know, one where I really put my hip into it at the right place. Because I know where he's going to hit me. He's got some long legs, too. Let me tell you, those feet are like like freaking steel. Uh, and so, again, how are we going to pad up? Like I had some little ankle fins and stuff so I could kind of wrap my instep a little bit, and make sure I don't roll my ankle, whatever. He's not wearing any of that. So, uh, so he's letting all of us have, because basically he's a badass. I mean, he can take it. He don't need no pads. Everything else that's the ground does against that dude. Um, it's, it's intense. And, you know, there were so many things about the end fight of King of the Kickboxers that were epic. It, t- it took us two and a half weeks and I was choking to death, man. They're burning the s- smoke powder from hong kong i'm going okay well here's the cancer i'll know where i got the cancer from (laughs) and uh you know and we've got to breed this stuff and we've got to you know sell out and i'm i'm wearing it deliberately because how am i going to take off my shirt and look anything near what billy does and uh billy came there a good 25 pounds heavier you know when you see that guy getting the hook that's bruce fontaine Getting the hunt and getting drunk. up. They are waiting for me. That's the first scene he ever shot. So you see him, and he's just fucking yo, dude. He's just <laughs> huge. But you can't be in 98 degree humidity, you yeah. know, yeah, 98% humidity and it'd be 95 to 105 degrees outside and not lose a little weight. I remember I would go to dinner with him in uh, Bangkok and he would, there was this British sort of pub thing across the street from the ambassador hotel. This dude would eat two huge steak dinners. I mean, I'm talking like three pounds of meat and whatever else. And, uh, and I would of course keep him company and eat something. But uh, yeah, I mean, he really, he really made this, made that possible, made that fight Incredible. And um, I'm just happy that I was there, that I got to do it, and also that uh, I continued on as a, as a martial artist. That's the most important takeaway. If you look at uh, Billy today, he is helping other people to get in better shape. He is continuing to teach. Uh, he's made enough money. He doesn't need it. But he's trying to make a difference in their lives, as is Keith Cook. He's still training and training people in L.A. and doing stuff, still a master. And uh, J.J., just Harry, uh, who has nothing to do with these movies, except that he, I worked with him on my little movies, and now he's a huge guy. He just got his ninth on from his former Army colleagues and coach. I can't think of his name right now, who's a legend in Taekwondo. Uh, at uh, – and at a reunion of the 82nd Airborne Division group that he was a, he was a part of, um, so 82nd Airborne, as you know, is is a is one of the bad badest group of you know airborne rangers there are in the army. So he just went and received his ninth degree honorary ninth degree black belt from that coach, and also a reunion many of. His brothers are gone, you know, but he went. And uh, so and that's what we always return to. And that's why JJ keeps in touch with me. And, you know, oh, I could have probably maybe worked with him or whatever. He likes to work with the youngsters. And he loves to do what he's doing. And I'm just glad that I'm there and that he keeps me in the loop. And um, he shares things with me because he, he trusts me. And he he, he knows how talented I am and how I can see and how talented he is. it just makes me like explode that I even get, was able to give him a little exposure to the industry. He was meant to do it anyway. He would have done it anyway. But the fact that I, you, know, you can smell that when you're, you know, when you're training, when you're with somebody and he actually saved someone's life. We were on there. There was Hollywood's greatest stunts. No, world's greatest stunts came and shot this uh, slide for life that that was in Deadly Ransom. And he saved my my double and dear friend, Scotty Coyote, who I met on Blood Brothers here, um, from surely being dead because the radio, you know, he he thought, Scotty thought at 300 feet uphill away, uh, that's 100 meters, you know, uh, that, that hearing that on the on the radio was him saying, Go, this fucking dumbass first AD had, was on the wrong channel when he was and he and so he was able to hear something from the radio. That's how bad it was as far as communication. So he started to go. He was gonna go down. The only the the real only break was a D clip and a rope at the end of the slide. At which point he was going at least thirty miles an hour, which doesn't seem like much, but it is when you're upside down and you're sliding downhill and there's no brakes, and there's a concrete wall that you're going to hit, so he said, he literally ran like over like a gazelle over everybody and grabbed that rope with his bare hands, Jager, and it slid through his hands. You know, you know how that he hadn't had he showed me his hands. He burned all the skin off his hands, saving um his life, and that was caught by World's Greatest Thought. So there was none of that and and uh, there was actually there was a, a documentary crew that followed us around on King of the Kickboxers. They used to have some show in, in America and then there's one of the partners that's still alive, but that has some of the behind the scenes footage that nobody's ever seen uh of us doing all of it and uh i wish i could get a hold of that guy or i wish i could you know try to recover that footage but you know again they were kicked up kicked off and sent away through some of the process they got rid of him just like just like they got rid it's like on no treat no sort of two nobody the american crew was fired because they refused to get in that clong water and you know this and that and the other thing. Anyway, so King of the Kickboxers, amazing, awesome, incredible. It was wonderful to work with Billy and to work with uh, Keith Cook. Um, and just to yeah, to to say that I got got that opportunity. And uh, I appreciate you guys so much. And King of the Kickboxers, when I can't rank it, I can't rate it. all I can say is, is that there, it's, it's different it's a different scenario. But if I had to end something with this group, I'm glad it was with Billy. I'm glad it was with this, you know, this incredible group of talented people behind the camera. And that's Tony. Lucas was not down there. Sometimes he'd get down there, you know, he, he definitely looked through the lens. But that fight at the end there, that's only Tony. That's, that's Tony. And uh, that's why I say, there's a lot of people who don't get the credit. I get to sit, sit here and talk to you guys, but it uh, takes, takes an army, it takes a village, takes a whatever. There's a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of families and people who gave up a lot so that we could go make this you know, fantasy occur. And uh, so those are the unsung, and, and to them and to all who work hard and make it all possible, All I can say is, is that I wish, I wish there was more, you know, that, that, uh, that the culture, but there seems to be, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of great filmmakers out there, but that time, that place, in that era, there wasn't, that was it. That was, we were it. And I'm just happy that I got to be a little bit, a little bit of part of that. And I'm also, you know, Still search, searching for and trying to and will continue to see if I can't get something done. You don't try, you don't get, you don't do, you get nothing. So we'll see. Hope, hope Scott likes it either way. I'm happy for him and I'm happy that I had some influence on him, inspired him. And he inspires me. But when I see all my friends do well, you know, I'm the type, this type of this guy. I don't get jealous. I am overjoyed. Now, there may have been a time when in my youth that, but it was different, but I cannot tell you how grateful I am and how wonderful it is to, to say that, because there's so much, you know, like, I don't know, people, their egos. Right? They're just, yeah. and I, I'm guilty of that, too. I'm human, too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not perfect. But uh, there are some, I do not like Van Damme. I don't like him because he hits women. And he does drugs and that are stupid, but he is who he is. I'm happy for him, but uh, he rat on rat. He, he got in on Gladys Portuguese's good graces, and uh, he lied about a lot of things. And he said he was this European kickboxing champion, which he wasn't. Yes, he won some point competitions, but you know why you have to lie. And then you know there's a lot of stuff. I just respect for as a warrior as a martial artist you're you're diminishing you're lying about something so that's too bad but thank you guys so much i hope that you know if you want to do a follow-up if some of this i hope you cut a lot of this out because i'm going on and on and on and on and on but uh we got to keep them honest you keep them interested you know but it was nice to be able to share with you and I'm very grateful to the both of you so thank you so very much
0: well thank you very much for coming on Uh, I know we both appreciate it all right there you go you've reached the end the marathon is over whether you did that all in one sitting you did it in breaks however you did it you did it you're here you're at the end congratulations I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it perhaps not as much editing it But certainly I enjoyed Lauren's time and I really, really want to thank Lauren once again for coming on. He was a delight. I, uh, there are literally not enough words I can give to describe how much fun it was to have Lauren on the show. He was so open and so giving and so genuine with everything he said that it really pained me to have to edit anything out that I have recorded. Some of which I had to for reasons that I explained and When we realized that Lauren actually lived (laughs) basically next door to where Jay currently lives and about an hour away from where I currently live, you know, it's just, it's weird how fate works, let's put it that way. And as for the films themselves, they are both great watches. They're unfortunately not on any streaming services to my knowledge, at least not here in the UK. It's possible that they might be on something like Tubi, I don't know, I haven't checked. You can still pick them up on DVD relatively easy, but be warned, they will not be of high quality. That's not the DVD's fault. There really isn't any other version of it out there you can get. Sadly, I don't see them ever coming out on high definition. If they did do like a trilogy remaster, that would be amazing, but I just don't see it happening. This is the part where I would normally tell you what's coming next. Truth be told, I haven't entirely made up my mind. The original plan was a different film than what I think it's going to be, so you're going to have to just wait and find out. Uh It will be coming out on Monday, though. Fingers crossed. No more delays. Thank you very much for watching. It's been long enough already, so all I can say is thank you for listening. And I will see you next time on the next one.